Good morning, everyone. Uh, Thursday, June 16. So what's special about today? What's special about today is it's game six of the NBA playoffs. And I'm going to make the trek up to the garden to see if my beloved Celtics can uh, tie the series. What a disaster. They should have won game six, uh, game uh, four. And they blew it. And now, I don't know what's going to happen. This series is so unpredictable. On any given day, no idea what's going to happen. It would be about time. It would be nice if Jason Tatum showed up one for one of these games. But who knows? Uh, trying to predict this series is next to impossible. I think the Celtics, I think they're like 8-1 and one after having lost a game. So, who knows? At any rate, that's not why we're here today. Um, we did spaces... Losing track. I've done a lot of these. The reason I'm doing one today is because I'm not going to be around tomorrow. And I know, I mean, with markets in turmoil, um, you guys would rather be in this room because we've got all these smart guys like Guy Sarandulo, who's hopefully going to speak, um, and the Three Aces, and a whole bunch of things. Nikoski's here. Guy, get back up here. Uh, we'll get Nikoski up here as well. Um, I don't know if Michael Howell's going to make it or Michael Belkin. I reached out to them. Uh, Greer's at a funeral, but he said he couldn't do it. I said, that's no excuse. You want me to do the, <laughs> do the space from the cask? I said, yeah, what the hell? It's more interesting than where you're at. So anyway, let me just uh, talk a little bit, and then um, I'm going to have Guy Serendulo uh, speak a bit. And Guy, if uh, kind of want you to tee it up, your market view really um, – you know, more important than short-term wiggles is where you think we're going over the next few months and sort of sector calls. Let's not get too far in the weeds on picks. If people want picks, that's fine. But what you like, what you don't like. Uh, so let me just ramble for a few minutes, and I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Guy. So I have a stream of consciousness here. I was just taking notes this morning, watching Bloomberg Television. And is <laughs> uh, the eminent philosopher Yogi Berra once said, you can observe a lot by watching. Not in any order of importance, but <laughs> I guess in order what sticks out in my head. And, and Matt Cox, I see you're laughing. So they're starting to prattle on about Bitcoin and crypto. And, you know, Bitcoin is a leading indicator for the stock market. Are you effing kidding me? How about Michael Howell as a leading indicator for the stock market? We've been talking about this stuff for months, months. You know, Wayne Gretzky, please call your office. We want to go to where the puck is going, not where the puck is. So today they're worried about Bitcoin? Today they're talking about it? Like Bitcoin by itself is a leading indicator of the Scott. And they got Scott Minard, who I like, but he's one of the biggest blowhards out there. He's got some classic buttes. And he's weighing in and yada, yada. He's a tourist. And he's bearish on Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, where you been? I think he was one of the biggest bulls there for a while. So, and then in the Twitter this morning, there were you know, people going on about the margin calls. You know, you know guys lever 20 to 101 crypto. Like, what could possibly go wrong? And just sidebar, um, you know, I kind of have been whacking the hornet's nest a little bit the last few days. People have noticed a rather more aggressive demeanor in my tweets. Because, as you know, Ed Beal call your office, I'm just sick of all this nonsense. I'm not going to put up with it. Not that I can control anything. 
but I'm going to speak my piece. I'm going to live in my freaking integrity. I'm going to call a spade a spade. You know, we had Nick Carter in here the other day. I give Nick a lot of credit for coming into the room. And I know I got a little bit hot, probably hotter than I should have. I apologize for that. But I don't apologize for a single thing that I said. Not a single thing. No profanity, no ad hominem, no personal attacks. I got loud. But I thought Mount Cox and Three Aces did a great job of trying to question the guy. He's like one of these wormy type of sleazy lawyers that comes up right to the edge. And without lying, actually, he, 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 he disseminates mistruths. He lies by omission, not commission. And what's interesting is not what he said, but what he didn't say. Like, dude, do you really think you really? Oh, just because you can't prove, I can't prove that Tether's a fraud. Therefore, you're not going to pay attention to it. And then his pushback, his tweet the other day was frankly insulting in the wake of the space. Oh, I'm not going to pay attention to some rando guy who's worried about some other currency, other crypto thing. Are you nuts? Like, how stupid are you? You see, you have a choice, Mr. Carter. You're either just a true believer or you know damn well what's going on and you just want to avoid addressing it because, as Al Gore would say, it's an inconvenient truth. He refuses to address the elephant in the room. Mount Cox will speak later on uh, Luna and Terra. And Mount Cox, I can't keep up with this. Every every other day, there's another one of these things I've never heard of that blows up. And I get a headache listening to you explain to me what it is, okay? But they're all connected. It's all a great pyramid. It's all a great scam. And, like, to feign indifference or because one can't prove that Tether's a scam, therefore I'm not going to address it. Are you kidding me, Mr. Carter? And he sits there, he writes all these white papers, and has all these videos, and you watch him and you read him, and his lips are moving, and he's saying nothing, absolutely nothing. He's talking about technology, he's talking about this, he's talking about that. He cannot and will not offer a valuation framework to support Bitcoin. He also will say, well, gee, you know, show me where I put up a price target. No, you didn't put up a price target. That doesn't matter. You have a public responsibility as a thought leader in the crypto space with 335,000 followers. And you know a lot of these sheep don't know what they're doing and they're hanging on to your every word. You have a public responsibility, a moral responsibility. Not legal, but we're not talking about what's legal or illegal. We're talking about what is right. And you are aiding and abetting and driving the sheeple right off the cliff. And you can sit there behind your horn room glasses and in your really low tone and write all your freaking white papers and get that paper into the Harvard Business Review, which which Mount Cox will talk about, which is not peer reviewed and try to be respectful, you know, or try, try to sound like you're erudite. Oh, yeah. And you worked at Fidelity. Yeah, well, so did I. But the bottom line is. You're just chasing a narrative. You're talking about the future. You're talking about number go up, bro. You're talking about technology. The arguments one makes for cryptocurrency, for Bitcoin, for Bitcoin, say nothing about price. They're true at 20000 they're true at 65000 they're true at 2000 And the problem is, and you are so disingenuous, Mr. Carter, you don't address this, and yet you know you're inciting the crowd to buy more Bitcoin. It is disgusting, Mr. Carter. It is reprehensible. 
Who do you think you're kidding? And anyone who sees your tweets and reads you knows that you're full of it. Anyway, I didn't come here to bury Mr. Carter, but I felt I needed to address this because I was very unhappy with the way the room went the other day. We, it was a fantastic room, despite the rather circuitous way we got there. Julian Brigden did not show up. We had a disconnect over time zones. I thought he was in London. He thought he's actually in Chicago. So it was, it was a complete innocent screw up. Um, anyway, he will be back, I hope, next Friday. And then these yahoos on, 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 um, on Twitter, these uncivil, profane, narrative-chasing, financially ignorant Bitcoin acolytes. You know, they start attacking me. Okay, fine. Well, you know what, bro? Come in here right now. Any one of you. If you got any crypto friends that want to come in here and want to talk fundamentals and facts, bring it. Bring it. I will beat you every day of the week with facts. So then they're like, oh, you left the room because you're losing the argument. No, no. You know why I left the room? Because the room was only supposed to be two hours. I'm trying to keep these rooms shorter. And we were three and a half hours into it. And I had another meeting I had to go to. And Mount Cox and three aces ably ran the room. And I came back an hour and a half later. I wasn't running away from anything. But these clowns, these crypto acolytes are going after me like I'm afraid of Nick Carter. No, I'm not afraid of Nick Carter. Nick Carter's afraid of me. Nick Carter runs around his backhand. He's, he, Nick Carter has no comeback to my points, to our points. And then they start with a profanity. And, you know, it's just one thing after another. So I want to read to you from my feed this morning. So I tweeted from a smart friend on why Bitcoin acolytes and AMC apes can be so profane and closed-minded. And this comes from a very uh, well-known um, uh, person that you know, but I'm not going to mention names. He didn't want tomatoes thrown at him. I don't care. Throw all the tomatoes you want at me. I'll catch them and throw them back at, at, at you and stuff them down your throat. To be sustained, environments of intense fellowship which the cultishness of crypto suggests is the case here, require extraordinary certainty. Beliefs must be absolute and indisputable. What discourse introduces is the potential for those beliefs to be wrong. That can't be the case to followers, which means you are now threatening them and what they hold true. And that is the same in American politics today too. And it's funny because there was a third part of this, but and again, another problem with Twitter Everything just gets gets taken out of context. The third piece of that made a passing political reference to Fox News. And then people went batshit crazy over the third part of it. Um, it said because it said, you know, the same is, is true today in American politics. And then this person went on to say Fox couldn't broadcast. He is an example. Fox couldn't broadcast the hearings last week. Its viewers are not open to discourse. Discourse is an attack on principles. You know, maybe that last part wasn't that well researched. It's not the point. We are in such a politically charged, hyperbolic environment. People just went nuts over the third part of that. So I had to take out the, the I deleted that last tweet. And I, and I mentioned in my Twitter feed, I was deleting it because people are focused on the wrong thing. It just shows you how when you're communicating electronically, email, Twitter, text, whatever, it's so easy to be misunderstood. At any rate, these Bitcoin people, they're just nuts. I mean, they're, they're, listen, I'm open to, a, to an honest debate. 
But when you're not willing to be thoughtful, at least entertain, just recognize the elephant in the room, which is Twitter. And yes, of course, we don't know for a fact it's a fraud. But anyone who's not brain dead and can read a balance sheet and understands financial history would say the odds are something's not right. Like, how disingenuous is it to discuss, discuss crypto without addressing Twitter? Or how, how disingenuous is it to talk about Bitcoin without coming up with a defensible methodology for valuation? And again, Mr. Carter, I'm going to go back on him again. Really got under my skin. You know, this business about, well, you can't prove Twitter's a scam and, you know, I'm not the guy. Okay, really? I thought of this analogy. Hey, Aces, question for you. Imagine, imagine Aces, I'm talking to you, so I want an answer. It's not a rhetorical question. It's a legitimate question. You're going to open up, you know, you're going to go drill for mine gold somewhere. And you go to some country like Guyana, where you are now, and you're looking around, you're trying to find a place to, you know, to, 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 to lay your stuff down. And some local consultant comes to you and says, hey, look at this. Look at the grade, you know, look at the leaching pile, whatever the hell is you look at, all right? And so all in the unit economics, all in the local uh, setup makes sense to you. But what they forgot to tell you was, they forgot, quote unquote, what they forgot to tell you was a few miles down the road, there's this dam, which is, which is, which everybody knows is, you know, questionable. And that thing could break and flood out any time. Three aces, question for you. If the consultant who was trying to sell you the recommend that you buy this, this, this mine, if they forgot to, forgot to tell you about the dam and the risk of a flood, how would you describe the behavior of that consultant, three aces? Would you be happy with that? Unconscionable. Okay, that is Nick Carter. Oh, but he didn't break any laws. Right, but it's unconscionable. It's unconscionable. That is my word for Nick Carter. Unconscionable. And so you're forced to make a conclusion. Either he's just, you know, a useful idiot and um, he's a true believer, just like the people buying, you know, tech stocks at 100 times revenues in 2000 or buying Japanese real estate in its peak in December of 1989. Or, or he knows full well what's going on. And he knows where his bread is butter, and he's talking his book. Take your choice. And the problem is, in a world where you got a lot of unsophisticated people out there, in the public, you know, is looking for leaders and they're looking for for for, for advice. He has an obligation, an obligation, to give as you know, as they say on Fox News, fair and balanced. Give both sides of the argument. Listen, I have opinions about a lot of things. You guys know that, but I'm also full of doubt. The longer you at, you one is at this, the longer one realizes that you don't really know. You're just making educated guesses in the face of uncertainty. I mean, as a matter of fact, that's what our whole business is all about. When it's all known, when there's no risk, there's no return. So, of course, you have to make an educated guess. So, Nick Carter, shame on you. Shame on you. A few other things, and I want to go to Guy. Uh, there was a whole, um, you know, just listening to the folks this morning, I was watching Bloomberg TV, you know all the data. They were reciting stuff like, you know, the first 100 days of this year, trading days is like the worst it's ever been, with the exception of 1932. They're then citing this Michigan survey on jobs, this is Michigan survey on the economy, the worst ever, the worst since 1950. I mean, it's unambiguously bad. 
and Michael Belkin, who I hope shows up, he foretold all this months ago, as did uh, some elite few. Michael Howell, I hope he shows up. So, so, so one of the commentators asked one of the guests this morning, one of the cheerleaders of the pom-poms, what is the plan? What is the plan? There is no plan. There is no plan. I mean, I was I was like spitting out my coffee this morning. They're going on about, you know, it was going to be only 50 basis points. And then on Monday, Powell changed his mind and made it 75. You know, I, I keep saying tongue in cheek, but I'm serious. Jay Powell is the man without a plan. There is no plan. They are making it up. They are making it up. They don't know what they're doing. They've got themselves in an impossible position. What if the Fed makes a mistake? What do you mean, what if the Fed makes a mistake? Inflation going from one to eight last year, they didn't raise rates. The mistake's already been made. It's done. No way out, bro. And three aces, we're going to come on to oil later because uh, I think we got a situation here. Not right now. Um, someone says, well, you know, there could be a credit crisis coming, but I don't want to use that because that's too strong a term. Like, what's the matter, dude? You don't want to scare the women and children? Scott Minard had a great, great quote, though. I got to give him credit. I like the way he thought he rolls. He was talking about the Fed's expectations for the economy, inflation, unemployment. He goes, fantasy, all fantasy. That's all made up. And then someone else said, you know, the Fed's kind of in a, in a tough place. They got a tough road to navigate, navigate here between inflation on the one hand and growth on the other. Really? You don't say. Really? Captain Obvious. Thank you for that. Um, the Japanese yen we've talked about in this room, maybe it's finally turning. But these JGBs, they're not going to stay here at 25 basis points. I think it's like the little boy that cried wolf. I think Japanese yields are going to go up. And when that happens, Katie barred the door on uh, the U.S. bond market. Market action yesterday, all right, great. You know, we don't pretend to call the market day-to-day, week-to-week. I sat there, just kind of watched it. I'm like, all right, this too shall pass. And here we are a day later. Fact of the matter is, um, you know, we got the 10 years still over 330. Oil's coming off a little bit. Hopefully it'll come off some more. With my apologies, Canadian oil mafia. Uh, the dollar, let's see. Um, you know, the yen, maybe it's bottomed out here. Don't really know. But for that to be sustainable, they got to do something on uh, the rate side. I... Japanese yields have to be allowed to go up. And if that is the case, it's going to be bad for uh, our bond market. Uh, and so we'll see. ECB, they're panicking as well. You saw yesterday, now they're all freaked out about spreads and, and BTPs and the Italian stuff. And they got a problem as well. Um, so, again, we talked about this in the space the other day. Japan and Europe, sources of uh, risk that maybe the midtown Manhattan crowd aren't paying sufficient attention to. Um, so yeah, for those who remember, uh, Laurel and Hardy, Ollie, this is a fine mess you've gotten us into. Thank you, Jerome. So again, day to day, week to week, nobody knows, but I would just say people are, they may be talking bearishly, ignore all the sentiment data. They're invested bullishly. The public hasn't sold a goddamn thing. Hedge funds, they've de-risked a bit, but they're still way too net long. We're at the precipice of a big earnings recession, if not outright economic recession. I think second quarter numbers are going to be disastrous. I've got increasing data points in recent days. We had Jackson in the room the other day. I see he's here today talking about what's happening to uh, roommates in South Beach. 
Um, you know, one of the listeners in the room spoke about how uh, things are really soft at the Jersey Shore for uh, holiday bookings. We know Hampton's vacation, uh, prior, uh, summer vacation rentals, uh, prices have collapsed. There are increasing signs of weakness across the country in housing everywhere. Retail is going from bad to worse. So I think the recession is inevitable. But I think more importantly, earnings are going to be absolutely disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. So you combine lower valuations with the collapse in earnings. Yields, I don't think they've come down very much. Stocks, while they've come down, they haven't even fully taken on board the uh, decline in uh, uh, bond prices and widening the spreads. So if you regress S&P against, say, uh, junk bonds, no. Stocks are not cheap at all. So instead of what could possibly go wrong, I think the real question, again, is what could possibly go right. So I remain unabashedly bearish. Nothing goes in a straight line. There'll be days and weeks where things go up. We could have a counter-trend rally. Who the hell knows? I certainly don't know. You know, Tommy Thornton, I'll give him credit. He called it the other day. But at the open this morning, it didn't look very good. So I suspect his bullishness is underwater. As a matter of fact, I know it is because I was with him last night. So, you know, Mr. Market, Mr. Market's moral obligation is to make it as difficult as possible for as many people as possible. And he's doing a damn good job of it. So that's that. So, uh, Guy, if you're ready, um, it's good to see you. I'd love, may, it's been a while since you've been, since you uh, were the speaker in the room. Maybe, hey, hey Guy, maybe just to start off with kind of like your general thoughts. And, and I don't care so much about the day to day stuff. Looking out, I and mean, if we use maybe 2000 the analog, and I actually think it's worse than 2000, I don't put words in your mouth, but sort of give us a big picture roadmap of where you think we are. Thank you, Guy. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, George. Uh, good to be back on. And I want to say hi to David Nikoski. He's an old friend. Uh, he will come by and uh, visit us at, when I was at Wellington. And his dad came to visit us, visit us when, we're at, when I was at uh, Fidelity years back. But good lineage, great work. Uh, hi, Dave. Uh, and uh, so, George, you know, the big picture stuff, it's, of course, nothing's going to change because it's set in stone the way I see things. And it's uh, basically off of the... Uh, fourth quarter and into the first couple of months of this year, we have this distributive price action. And I want to use the NASDAQ composite as the proxy where this bearish money flow unit developed. And again, the work I do is a little bit different. Well, it's a lot different than what most do. And it's measuring uh, uh, distributive price action or accumulation on multiple timeframes. But sticking with the weekly timeframe, um, uh, it's it's all extremely negative. I think we're probably uh, halfway, a little more than halfway to where the downside, I think it is. And again, for the NASDAQ composite, uh, it, I want to give price targets because I, I, I operate in the uh, in the mode of of levels where things could inflect and the projections are. So uh, based off that, uh, you know, beginning of the year, distributive action, we had uh, MFU2. At eleven three three zero in the uh, the Nasdaq Composite, and typically when you get to MFU twos, you get pretty good counter trend rallies. We got a rally of eight percent, but now that we've broken below, this opens the downside to where I think we are going to be going, which is an MFU three. It's at eight 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 seven, so that's forty five percent decline from the January high. So if you think of that big picture. Um, of where I think we're going. So the same, we have the same setup. So I think NASDAQ Composite is the lead 
um, I would have to say that the NDX uh, is behind it. Uh, and there, there's a, uh, from the January high, 36% uh, decline into 10.654, and then an MFU3 at 76.02, which is 54% from the high. So it's the crazy numbers, yes, and I, I do play it, uh, you know, one level at a time. But when you look, you look at what's been happening with um, with software stocks as a proxy. That's where I've been cultivating a lot of shorts for a number of months. The IGV as a proxy for that whole group. I mean, these stocks are round tripping that whole bull move. And in a months back, George, one of your spaces, I had said, you know, I. What I foresee is a lot of these stocks that had these big blow-off type moves or you know parabolic moves, they're going to start looking like what we had back in 1929 to the 32 low. If you just go back and look at, try to find some charts, you'll see that a good number of those stocks that peaked in 29, when they made a low in 32, they basically went to the level where the parabola started. So they inflected all the way back to where... Uh, that that big runoff uh, run up uh, more or less started so 27 28 29 and I think arc is a is a good proxy for for that kind of a schematic so if you look at arc now um, and look at a weekly or a monthly I mean I have a downside of an mfu 4 25 let's say 2537 is my number but between 25 and 26 so basically the stock is already it, it, it's fit that picture so you know, it's a disaster, um, unfortunately. I know you're doing a, a public service, George, by having these spaces, and hopefully people are listening and, and avoiding disasters. But unfortunately, a lot of people are going to hurt in a big way. Um, so anyway, I just see more downside there. The S&P is no better shape. Uh, you know, the next zone, I think actually the, the S&P is coming into a 3625, which is an MFU2. And again, typically that's where you get a, a good counter trend rally. But that's, if we do get it, that's a rally to sell into. Uh, once we start to get a two, like let's say a, a weekly close below that level, then we go into the, the third zone, which is uh, 3029. So basically, I'm seeing everything north of 30% from the January high, uh, you know, to, 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 to the ultimate low of some kind between yeah, 30... yeah, but, but, yeah, but guy, guy, hold on, hold on, yeah, yeah, but from where we are right now, what does that equate? Let's talk about where we're relative current levels. What, what does it mean? Give, give us where we are now, yeah. Well, uh, on the SP, it's it's 3029. So, where are we in cash? We're, uh, we're, we're like 3700, 30, 30, yeah, yeah 3674. Okay. That's that's where that's where I'd have to you know evaluate things and say, you know, are we going to find some stability there or do we go down one more zone? But I think the lead is going to be NASDAQ and. That's where I want to uh, focus on and see if we get into those zones and right, stabilize. So, so, but that's so, a disaster. So, yeah. yeah. So, so if S and P is down twenty percent from here, let's say around terms, that probably means Nasdaq down twenty five from here or something like that. Is it? Is it? Yeah. I'm just spitballing. Okay, fine. And then in ARC, which is even higher, beta, you were talking twenty five or thereabouts. Yes. So that could yep. be down thirty thirty five. Okay. So the guy, let's talk it the other way. Now, is there what's on your buy list? Do you, do you have a buy list? Uh, the, well, actually I, you know, I do this, uh, well, I don't know if it makes any sense for you, but I, uh, got long some crude this morning. That's in, in one of the global macro alpha capture portfolios. I do, I do like the energy on a pullback. I think, uh, I, someone had told me you mentioned, uh, AR the other day in one of your spaces. So if you look, um, in tarot, if you look at that as a proxy for what I'm looking for, stocks that are pulling back within the context of uptrends, that's what I'm looking for. And, and energy is the only place i have an interest and it's been like that since november of 20 uh 2020 
And so, guy, what, 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 what's what's the bond market look like to you? What's the TLT look like to you? Uh, yeah, I wrote that up. Uh, actually, had a a one ten target. But I think once we get a little bit of a lift, we should see another leg lower. I mean, I have yields tar a yield target on ten year at four point two nine. So let's say four. 4. Wait, 3. wait, wait! Mic drop, breaking, breaking, breaking. Slow down, cowboy. You said yeah. four point four point two nine on the ten year. Is that is that what you said? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's an MFU two. We got to uh, an MFU three. The the second level was at three spot oh three. We got there a few weeks back, and now we're getting the pullback, which is typical of counter trend move. And I think once we get above the recent high, that should set the stage. And again, it's it may take. You know, I can't tell about time. What you know, my work, I it doesn't doesn't. And focus on that. It's only on uh, where the where the accumulation pattern suggests prices could get into, but that's where that's where the target is. Yes. And so, guy, one of the phrases, one of the most one of the most degenerate phrases I hear on CNBC, one of the most costly phrases, one of the most inane phrases, people say, "I got to put money to work." Wait a minute. <laughs> says who? Says who? Okay. That's right. So, guy, if someone says, "I got to put money to work," what do you say to them? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, th there is a way to make money in this in this market, George, and it's stuff that I, 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 I love doing. And I, you know, did some of that when I was working with you. That's it's pair trades. I mean, things such as long staples and short discretionary XLP to XLY, you know, that that's the way to do it. Dollar neutral um, to buy something outright because of a, you know, uh, a strong trend. I mean, look at how energy's pulled back five to 10 plus percent. All within the context of a you know a bull market, it, it, I think it's gonna be tr too tricky. I think doing something where you're paired off dollar dollar for dollar is the way to make some money. Guys, so, we know about a little bit because I've been very bullish on energy. You've been bullish on energy. I kind of got out a few weeks ago, or really, really uh, sold most of my positions just mm -hmm. because I thought it was too much, too soon, too fast, and everything was getting so extended, and sure. I was like. Energy shown us historically, it can take a dirt nap most unexpectedly for no reason. And so I think you were in the room the other day when Shrub was talking about fertilizer stocks. Use that as an example. Mm -hmm. Fertilizer story is a great story, but those stocks all gave up the ghost. They went down like 30%, just, you know, a healthy correction. It doesn't always, don't you love when someone says something's a healthy correction? <laughs> you lost money, but you lost money the healthy way as opposed to the unhealthy way. But seriously, <clears throat> I love the long term structure for energy. You and I have talked a lot about energy in the past. Sure. But forget about, you know, you bought Antero at 20 and it's now 38 or wherever it is. All right. Um, if you were going to see a new, let's say, let's say you're going to see a new client, prospective client. Sure. And so you get no credit for having been right on your energy call in the past. They don't think you're an idiot. They don't think you're a genius. So it's like, and you know, guy in this business, it's always, you always go to your last trade, right? So you go in to see a new client. You want to make a good impression. You don't want to take a dirt nap, drive the car in the ditch on the first trade. Would you actually be telling him to buy energy right here, or do you think you're going to get a better entry point? I think there'll be a better a better entry point. I would I would want to see some of these names uh, definitely stabilize, but I am encouraged that the the pullback in crude is actually for me it's orderly, and it's it's only a few days in duration on on the pullback, and that's. I find that healthy, and uh, you know, I, I think we'll stabilize and start to, you know, inch higher. Okay, but I think, uh, yeah. So okay, I, okay, hold on. Let me drill down, guys. This is gonna yeah, take yeah. A bit to the good old days when we used to work together. I pressed you pretty hard. So, guy, 
there's 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 the commodity. Yeah. There are the stocks. Okay. Exactly. The energy stocks are stocks. Okay, fine. So a lot of times, you know, we can have disconnects, leads and legs between the stocks and the commodity. So if we just use the XOP as an example, as a placeholder for energy generally, all right. I look at the XOP. You know, it peaked the other day. It's 142 and change as we sit here right now. All right. It got up to, I don't know, 170 or where the hell it was the other day. I mean, it, it, it's, it's had a huge, it's had, a, it's had a huge move. It peaked around 169. It's 142 as we speak. I look at the, I look at the chart structure, and I mean, one, I mean, I love the fundamental story on energy. I love the fact that you know there's been no inflows into funds and energy this year. They're still buying Kathy Wood instead. However, having said all that, I look at the 200 day. It's down at 115. The 100 days at 131. And so I'm saying to myself, from a tactical setup standpoint, like I, I want to see more work on the downside, all right? And that's just, that's just XOP. If I take Antero, all right, which I love as a company, don't get me wrong, we could talk about any one of these stocks. It's all the same trade, right? Look at Antero, which has been a monster, all right? You know, kudos to you. You nailed this one, all right? But the 200 days down at 24. You know, the stock's 38 down from 48. So I look at it right here, right now. I mean, this stock, if it just traded <clears> to the 100-day, which is at 31, which is down another 18% from here, it wouldn't have done anything wrong. So, again, I, I ask you I ask you for the record, <laughs> is this a good entry point? Or, so, in other words, if you want to say, you know what, I like energy in the next few years, would you have on <clears> your entire position? Would you just put a starter position on? you have half your position on? Like, how would you go about yeah. thinking, re-engaging with the energy sector guy? Yeah, I think I don't think we're going to have to get all the way down to that 200-day. I think the pullback we're getting now, the XOP, that's exactly what I brought up when you started the, the thought process. I think it'll be you know, between here and let's say one, uh, 136, 137. You know, that's where I want, I want to see a little bit of a hookup. But I think this pullback is going to be similar to what we had back in uh, end of April into May. I, 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 don't, I don't think that – I think the selling that, that we're getting in some of these energy stocks, it's going to be recent buyers – Weak hands, and I think these the stocks will be bought, bought on the uh, on any, any kind of short term weakness. I don't think we have to come all the way down to the two hundred day, George. I don't buy. I don't. I don't see that. I, I think these things are holding. If people really wanted to get out of these things, you know, they, they'll be trading down nine, ten plus percent day after day, so like some of these tech stocks or uh, consumer discretionary names, the Cracker Barrels, and all this other all the other crap that's collapsing. And besides, I mean, if, if the story's still, you know, guy, positive, guy, guy yeah. did you say, did you say crapper barrel? <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I thought about that. I didn't want to say it, but yeah, it is. <laughs> that I mean, thing, you know, it, so, so guy, like what sector, so once native in the market, I mean, am I right? I know you're big on relative strength, which is the way I roll. We, 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 we belong to the same church. Yeah. Uh, what are the sectors um, that you'd be hunting on the short side? I mean, to me, consumer discretionary looks disastrous. So just yeah. without getting into individual names, whether you want to look at the XRT or XLY, just pick an ETF that, that or, yeah. or, or a big stock that you want to, that just sort of as a reference point to give us an example of what you're talking about. I yeah. mean, if you want to take the XRT or the XLY or anything else, give us give us a reference point. Yeah, XLY, exactly. Yeah. I would, and then I would pair that off, like I said earlier, with uh, a lower beta ETF like XLP. But yeah, that's the that's the proxy I'm using for the disaster we're seeing. You know, consumer related. So, um, so, so XLY guy, we're at one thirty five down six dollars today. All right, um, the, the this thing, if you pull up the long term chart, it was like one thirty going into the uh, pandemic. That was the local high. It crashed down around eighty five or something like that. Like. 
you know, I'm looking at the, at the MAs here. Okay, the 200 days, we're actually below, this is interesting, we're below the 200 day already on this one. Yeah. So when you look at XOI chart structure, like where do you think it could go off of the current 135 reference point? Yeah, I have it all mocked up. It's 114, 114 and a half. Yeah, so, so that's yeah. helpful, guys. Yes. Guys, I mean, now for technology, whether you want to use software or NASDAQ or XLK or SMH, maybe SMH is a good one, right? So, I don't know, let's just go through a couple of these. So, SMH, what does SMH look like to you? Is that one you have on your screen? Uh, I have it up, but I hold on, I just got to mark or, or, it. Or, guy, 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 give us a tech chart that you have marked up already where you, where you know you've already done the work. I mean, SMH looks horrible to me. SMH, yeah. SMH has got 150 written all over. It's 204 less. But yeah, is that, that's exactly it. 149, 148.87, but one, let's say 150 for a nice round number. But that's guy, guy, guy. Yep. You, you taught me well. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, <laughs> you, we're getting. Yeah, we're, get, we're, we're breaking through the MFU two as we speak. It was labeled at 205.75, and you know once we start getting a weekly close below that, then you're setting the stage for that 150 area. And guy, do you have a, the software ETF as well that you could? Uh, or, yeah, the IG, IGV. Yeah, give me a second. IGV. Yeah, what's that look like to you? Yeah, guy? yeah, we're actually coming to MFU three at two forty nine eighty, but I think, I think we're going to break it. We'll go down to the MFU four, which is at one eighty four, one eighty three and a half, oh which boy. is about which is about twenty seven percent from here. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, so but guy, 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 yeah. I'm sorry we ran. I don't know how you were on time. I knew you had a conflict, and thank you for staying over. Can yeah. you stay with us for a few minutes, or do you have to run? Yeah, uh, I have a. I'll give it five just in case. All right, uh, okay. I'll, I'll listen okay. in if I could squawk yeah, in. I'll, right. I'll, uh, I'll help okay. out. Okay, so I don't know if, if if anyone has questions, please raise their hand. I don't know if three aces or KFAB or Mount Cox. Do you have a because guy has limited time? Do you have any questions for guy specifically? We can talk about other stuff once guy leaves. But if, if three aces, do you have a question for guy? No, no, no. I just had one quick question, Guy, for, sure. for the crowd here. Um, when we're talking about ETFs, such as ARC, for example, we talked about, and we're coming up with forecasts and things like that, um, this, you know, particularly in the case of ARC, I don't know if you saw this, uh, guy, George, but mm -hmm. um, she's already now sold 3 million shares of Teladoc that she just bought. <laughs> um, wow. You know, the turnover in that ETF is like unlike anything I've ever seen before in my life. So we're looking at the chart today. In the meantime, you know, potentially many of those stocks won't be in there, you know, in some period of time. Do you still think the, the, this, this, the ETF chart itself can be relied upon in an environment to where you have massive turnover like that. Now, we know in the last year she was married to all of that garbage that she was pitching. But, you know, we've seen her buy GM recently and so on. How, what's your take on, on funds like that in stock charts? Thank yeah, you, that, guys. Sure, that's a great, actually a great, a great thought. Uh, I think it, it could change on the margin, but she would have to really overhaul her holdings to change the structure because if she's trafficking in, in stocks that are, you know, with the same MO of going down, then, um, you know, the price target is a price target. But then again, if she turns over half the portfolio into, let's say more, you know, lower beta names and, you know, more stable and uh, good quality or what have you, then of course the structure is going to change. The MO is going to, is going to change. But uh, that's the only thing I could foresee. But you know, even if we just stick with the other, bigger ETFs where we're not going to see big changes or they rebalance uh, every quarter or six months. Yeah. I, I would have, would have to agree that that's going to be a much more stable count and, and view. So, yeah. 
Hey, Guy, can I just uh, quickly just ask, um, GLD, SLV, looking pretty good today. Feels like uh, we might be basing. I was wrong as hell yesterday uh, trying to pick a bottom uh, in, uh, in the S&P, but I feel like uh, you're supposed to be adding to gold here. What do you think? Well, actually, the, the GLD came up down to uh, an MFU to a 168. So I think as long as we stay above that level, um, I wouldn't mind nibbling on the long side and things start to clear up on a more positive above 175 to 177. And then we'll have upside targets generated after once we get there. But if I had a nibble on, on, a, on a spot, this would be it. And let's just use GLD as a proxy there. And George, just, hey. a quick, just a quick thought. George, you had mentioned the, uh, the yen earlier, Japanese yen. I think, I think we're in the first innings of seeing a big turn there. You, you, you do? Yeah, yes. The, the downside target was 73.77. So we are shy of it. But again, that was projected off of Q1 of, of uh, 2021. So, 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 Guy, let me just stop you for one second. Um, even though it's screwed up, most people look at the, the opposite of that. You look at you the look dollar at, yen. Yeah. Okay. So like that to me looks like a crash could be developing, which is the opposite, which is just what you said the other way. Yeah. So I'm looking, pull up JPY right now. We're down to 131.92. We're down two yen today, which, and this is, this is a fresh signal right here because we only just spiked, uh, yeah. dollar, we got to, we, we, we kissed 135 and a half yesterday. All right. We're 131.92 right now. And if the yen turns, uh, if the yen strengthens from here, um, it's going to be the. I would expect to see Japanese bond yields um, rise uh, mm-hmm. in concert with that, which would, you know, certainly not be helpful to the U.S. bond market. So, look at look at dollar yen instead of yen dollar dollar yen. Sure. One one thirty two right now. What does it look like to you, guy? On dollar yen. Yep. It's 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 a fresh turn, so I had to, uh, I did work up the hourly chart, and then it morphs into daily, and then the weekly as time progresses. But the the downside would be one thirty one spot three one, then one twenty nine sixteen, and that's where you could probably get some type of a bounce. And then uh, then I think the daily charts will start to d- develop the negative or the you know the bearish uh, MFU targets. But for now, I think, and actually that that coincides with the fifty day. Uh, so one twenty nine spot sixteen would be the first, right? The first spot. But 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 yeah, the yen went from one fifteen to one thirty five in a straight shot, and the yen is so oversold. Like to me, I look at it. I'm, I'm looking at the same charts you are, but mm-hmm. like one twenty nine is only like you know two points away. It's kind of like a pussy target. So if you look beyond the micro short term structure, so if I said you guy, you know, three months from now, not three days from, but three months from now, like where do you have mm-hmm. a view on the yen, or is it too hard to call right here? Well, based on the way I, I measured the, the work, George, it's going to be early because I need to have more time and price development. But the thing is, once you get the inflection point right, you, know, you put the trade on and then you basically ride it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, so my, my thought process is we'll probably get to 129, maybe rally up to 131 ish. And then you start to develop a more bearish uh, uh, price target. And I think those would project down to 120, 122 area into that zone. So again, uh, it's it's fresh off the high, so it's a, right. it's, a, it's early. Right. So, so, guy, la- la- last question. You've been really generous with time. I know the room really likes to hear from you, and I hope you'll be more visible. This is great when you come in here, and I know we'll be hearing more from you on Twitter in general in the months to come. I hope we'll do something together on the research side. Um, sure. Any other sort of thoughts, things that we haven't discussed here? Um, uh, mm. Any? But you think we covered the basis? 
Yeah, I think it is. I think, you know, consumer related on the short, for me, it's, it's where you would want to traffic for short ideas and low beta on the long side of the ledger if you're doing care trades. And I think, you know, just to buy stuff outright as a long trade, I think it's just too tricky. I, I would actually, you know, maybe nibble at a gold stock here and there. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're washed out, but, um, you know, good structured trending names. It's, it's too difficult to do that right here. Right. So, so I mean, I mean, my interpretation, not your words or mine, but tell me if I'm not sure about words, you might have more sure. sense. I wonder if you disagree with this. I mean, I don't want to be long anything this, in this market without having a corresponding short. In other words, I think the market risk exactly. is so, so if you want to be long energy, long gold, whatever, it's like, I'm scared to be naked long. I, exactly. I want to be short something. Yeah. So that's kind of the way to roll, in my opinion. All right, that's probably uh, Guy, Guy. Um, and by the way, everyone give Guy a follow. Um, I've known Guy for, oh my God, 30 some odd years. So it's Fidelity. He's probably, he's probably one of the most <laughs> underexposed, um, smart uh, observers out there on Twitter. Um, he he was at Fidelity in Wellington for many many years. He's been on his own for the last few years. He has an institutional research uh, product. Um, I think maybe he'll be coming out with a with a with a product more tailored for individual investors as well. And I'm looking forward to doing something on the research side with Guy and in, in, in helping distribute his research product. Uh, we're working on something, but give Guy a follow. Reach mm -hmm. out to him, um, Guy. Let's a little Thanks, experiment, George. Guy. You've got 2,113 followers. I want everybody in the room <laughs> to follow you. I want to see if we can get you to 3,000 before the day is over. Let's see what happens here. That would be sweet. Uh, yeah, <laughs> cool. but, 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 but at any rate, anyway, guy, it's always great to hear from you. I know yeah. this is run over. I'm sorry. No worries. Um, no worries. This, this is awesome. And, and, and thanks so much, guy. Hang around if you can, but we're not yeah. going to put you on the, on the, on, yeah. on the spot. But dude, George, right. you know, this is, it's time well spent because if you know, if you could help just a couple of people out there to avoid the pitfall, you know, you've done the, you've done a good service. So my well, time and, is. And, and guy, I thank you for your generous time. Yeah. As well. That's all we're trying to do here. We, exactly. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, you know, Walter Stone, Peter Lynch, George Vanderheiden, and we were yeah. lucky enough to been there and we're just trying to pay forward. So exactly. guy, guy, guy thanks. thanks for your contribution. Anytime. Thanks. Thanks guy. All right. George, can I ask you a quick question? Real quick? Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Cool. For you and K fab in relation to Holden's most recent question, the guy, um, so I don't know if anybody, I'm sure you noticed, but the the forward expectations on rate hikes coming from the Fed yesterday after the 75 basis point move went 50 and then 25s the rest of the year. Did you catch that? And I'm just curious, what are your thoughts in terms of, does that mean that maybe the street is starting to get a, you know, so, you know, think that, you know, the monetary inflation is not so much the problem but some of this political stuff and supply chains and lockdowns and chip fires. Just curious what your thoughts may be on that. The whole term structure or the expectations were collapsed yesterday. I'm going to defer to KFAB because I'm not really a Fed guy. KFAB, over to you. Hey, KFAB. You know, that, that's actually right in the wheelhouse of what I was going to um, bring to the table today. So... I think it's a continuation of the tenor of the market shifting in mid-April that I've spoken about on prior um, spaces with you guys, is that we kind of transition from the inflation trade to the growth slowdown scare trade, and that's when the dollar went broadly bid. I think since Friday, what we've seen is kind of the normal progression from that, and it's counterintuitive given what happened yesterday and exactly what you just talked about, Three Ace, is about the Fed funds rate structure shifting towards a hawkish posture based off what the Fed did and said. But if you look at the euro dollar curve 
And if you look at what's going on in the bond market as far as a steepening of the curve and the dollar getting hammered, I mean, this is not just the yen, as George <laughs> rightly talked about um, with Guy. I mean, you've got the dollar getting broadly hammered here. And with the market in the euro dollar space is starting to price in forward is that this is a policy mistake that they're going to have to reverse faster and, you know, <laughs> that that you're going to get whipsawed here, meaning that everyone's worried about them and, and rightly so the growth trade, um, you know, the recession potential risk. But what the market's already starting to look into down the road now is that they're going to have to reverse hard. And what's that going to do to the dollar? And that's why the yield curve's starting to steepen a little bit. Um, so, I, you know, it's kind of the second, third, fourth order effects and playing chess, not checkers. And, and that's what's been that's what happened since Friday. And, and if you look at what the Fed did, I mean, to go a month between a month and saying no way 75 bips is off the table to wet their pants because of what came out in the CPI report on Friday to leak a story or Thursday, whenever the CPI came out to leak a story against their quiet period. And then to go 75 basis points, I mean, uh, that's not good. And and um, so this has all been following kind of a normal cycle dynamics outside of, you know, when they accidentally back into uh, a soft landing like they did in 18. And, and as I've been saying, it's kind of the Wizard of Oz situation, which is people have attributed that they actually know what they're doing because they happened to get a soft landing in 18 and that recency bias, when if you look historically, they almost always get it wrong. They almost always screw it up. They're in the middle of screwing it up again. And that's today's response. And really since Friday is where we've seen another shift in tenor like mid April towards, Oh boy, they're really going to drive this bus off the ledge. They're going to tighten. And then because they're tightening fast and quick, they're going to have to reverse that because they're going to create a major problem. Hey, KFAB, we've seen $15 trillion in liquid assets disappear in stocks and bonds alone. And we're pe- we got a real estate, uh, you know, uh, ruffling of the, of the tea leaves here on the, on the horizon. How does that affect the liquidity, inflation, and all this other stuff? Is that something you consider to be material, or is it just the Fed, 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 Fed? Uh, what's going to happen here is the baton is going to be shifted from what, as George has said, what Michael Howell has been chronicling for a long time now, months, literally, from a, from a, a forward-looking prediction of a liquidity crisis, which has been unfolding, and the baton is going to get shifted to a solvency problem. And that's that's when you're going to see credit blow out. You're going to see, you know, recessionary, a global recession unfold. And it, we haven't seen this backdrop since the early 80s as far as this kind of synchronized global slowdown that's running the risk of a synchronized global recession. Even 08 wasn't like that. You had major pockets of strength uh, entering that period economically. Places in emerging markets, for example, that barely went into recession or didn't go into recession at all. Whereas now we've had synchronized global tightening coming out of the pandemic following huge stimulus and now everything's kind of whipsawing back in, in the opposite direction uh, and people just haven't seen this um and, and a global recession is going to lead to major solvency problems so uh kfab as long as we're uh, just, are you still there kfab yeah i'm here yeah so could you speak particularly because 
you and I have similar look the world through the lens of, uh, you know, global macro. Um, let's talk about Europe a little bit and what's going on uh, with the euro and bond yields and spreads. I mean, I think the ECB is now really stuck between a rock and a hard place. And arguably, this is more pro. This is a more difficult situation than they were in the last time around the track when you know early in the. Uh, whether it was 2011, I can't even remember. The years all blend together when you're having fun. And we saw about the euro blowing up and the stresses and strains and looking at Italian and Spanish bond yields blowing out. Do you have any thoughts, particularly on Europe, KFAB? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's as we've been discussing for months now, George, I've been focused on the problems outside the U.S. and how the U.S. was kind of the tail of, of the train or the caboose of the train, the cycle. Um, and, and it was, you know, the, the, Things like the DAX that actually crashed back in March um, and breaking to new lows now, by the way. Um, so, yeah, they, they not only have all of these structural issues, they also have a huge layer of political risk that, you know, they're, they're going to try to um, address. I mean, this is what they just announced the last couple of days are basically going to um, sterilize, so to speak, their QE uh, by not ramping it up because of their inflation problem, they're just going to shift it, focusing on uh, the pigs, as they call them, uh, the, 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 you know, the lower quality credits like Italy, Greece and Spain and Portugal. So, um, you know, they're now in the corner that Japan is in, which is once you start, when, once you hit the cycle, right, you can get away with all this stuff if there's not major um, economic turmoil. And that, that's what this inflation crisis has now kicked off, which is that they've got a Sophie's Choice problem and there's no good solution there. It's, you know, and, and they're going to try and navigate it and thread it, but they're not going to be able to do it. And, and that raises huge political risks because at some point you're going to have, you know, the continuation of the populist movements in some of these countries where they've been, you know, kind of zombified economies through let's call it German imposed austerity for a, a generation now. Um, and at some point with food prices, energy prices, all these things going on, I mean, it, it's very combustible politically. Um, so that's an even added layer that the Europeans have that you don't have with Japan and certainly in the United States. Other than that, everything's fine. All right. Thanks for that, KFAB. Please stay up there. We're going to have a lot more to talk about. Abe, my friend, good to see you. I know you're away for a while. So, Abe, talk to me. What's going on, Abe? What's new in your world? Okay. I just came back from Europe uh, two weeks, two days, saw six countries, um, talked to a handful of CEOs that probably uh, combined, probably employ half a million uh, people um, in various sectors, spoke to two or three hedge fund uh, guys, some guys that had money backed by Blackstone and others. And I can tell you unequivocally, um, everything I had discussed back in November is all coming true. Um, Europe is in deep shit. Uh, it is weakening very, very quickly on the ground. Um, we, the Ukrainian conflict has had a very profound impact on Europe. We have been very much insulated here. Um, energy costs are literally through the roof. I mean, they're probably about 35% more uh, expensive uh, in terms of uh, just, you know, uh, gassing up your car in Europe uh, versus the U.S. Um, energy costs, meaning hydro, is up almost two and a half times on a year-over-year -year basis. So if you want to um, 
Um, you know, you, you want to charge your factories in Germany, etc. Uh, it is very, very uh, compromised. Um, the other thing I've noticed, and again, I spoke to so many people, their biggest issue is margin compression. Um, there's, there's only so much of um, exporting of price to the consumer and to other uh, B2B players that is acceptable. And what is happening now is you're seeing um, that being compromised, meaning that they can't necessarily drive more price inflation by exporting it to their clients, their customers, etc. So they're having to eat it. And hence something that I think we've discussed all along, um, the next coming quarters from a profitability perspective, no question are going to be very weak, very, very weak. Wage inflation, by the way, is crazy. Skills gap is also crazy. You can't find people to do the right things at the right time. And as a consequence, um, you've got uh, gaps in production. You've got uh, delays and not just semis, um, industrial uh, products, uh, industrial uh, components that are required in order to uh, drive manufacturing in Europe is also very much delayed uh, in terms of getting uh, parts, getting all sorts of things. So on the ground, I can tell you that um, I foresee that the uh, summer months are likely going to be, when I say okay, okay only because we're dealing with post-COVID and I think the consumer is looking for experiences, not necessarily goods. So certainly short discretionaries because I don't think anyone gives a shit about buying you know, that extra widget or whatever. Um, but I foresee that the fall is, is incredibly, incredibly weak. And the consumer is actually running out of steam. There's no question. Energy is starting to kill them. Um, you're seeing them making choices. Um, and um, uh, people are essentially spending less. That's basically what, 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 I, what I foresaw in, uh, in my 16 days, you know, having literally um, gone through six countries. Uh, I don't know how many Ks on the, on the car, but nonetheless, uh, trains, planes, etc. So things are weakening very, very quickly. And I think the fall is going to be um, um, uh, not a very good place. Quite frankly, I've said it before. I, I want to be short Europe. Um, I was also in Greece. I've got a I've got a home there. So home base there. Um, I can tell you that, um, you know, they've spent 20 billion dollars on defense over the last 18 months. I have no idea how the hell they're going to pay for this. Uh, and I can tell you they've gone to the bond market. But from a um, uh, just from a country specific perspective, um, you know, their debt levels are still at uh, whatever, 353 billion. I think it's 200 and something percent of, uh, of GDP. So it, it's a problem. I don't know how these countries are going to manage. So the pigs, no question, you're going to be dealing with, um, uh, you know, real credit risk, solvency issues uh, are, are alive and well. And hence why you're getting the discussion coming out of the ECB, which are quite laughable. Um, they're trying to contain this because they, they this this is looking like 2008 all over again, except it's not 2008 anymore. It's a completely different animal. And I was in 2008 doing structured finance. So uh, I saw the whole, um, uh, you know, the whole housing market. This is not housing specific. It's nothing to do with housing. This is, this is broader. Hey, 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 yeah. hey, let me ask you a question. Specifically, the sandbox that you play in with the rebar and metals and all this other stuff. Yeah. And we took comments back and we were talking about, and you were right, you know, the, 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 the supply problem, you know, Ukraine mm -hmm. and everything else, the prices went yep. to the moon. 
Can you just give, give us a mark to mark and an update of what's going on in the, in, in, in the product markets that you deal in? That'd be very helpful. Thank you. Yeah, sure. So, so, um, I, so I deal with uh, various kinds of byproducts in steel, industrials, uh, industrial components, products that are being made out of steel that, that find themselves into autos, uh, all sorts of uh, manufacturing, et cetera, tool dyes, you name it, all that kind of uh, stuff. Anything that's sort of a steel byproduct is, is one, as one domain. Um, so Ukraine continues to have a very profound impact. There's still shortages. Um, there's huge delays in terms of just getting product. Uh, Ukraine was kind of like the, um, uh, the, 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 the country that supplied, let's just say, Germany with a lot of the primary products, uh, steel uh, products that are required in order to formulate and that become actual real products uh, for a lot of German factories. So that is a huge problem. Um, that, that continues to exist. Um, supply bottlenecks continue to exist. I'm seeing it also in the Far East where you still have, um, you know, literally thousands of pallets of products stuck in, um, in the Far East, uh, you know, destined to the U.S. and destined to other uh, uh, locations within that sector, okay? Uh, but, but in Europe, uh, continues to be a, uh, a problem uh, in terms of getting product, getting primary products. And that's basically because Ukraine's offline. Um, and, and, the, and the region that the Russians have pretty much uh, covered off is, uh, is, steel, is steel central. Uh, so, so they've covered that whole piece off and they're offline. Uh, Moldova is another uh, problem, um, and they're also seeing some impacts. Uh, Belarus is the same story. Um, so, so you now have this occurring. So you, you know, you, you, you still have a weakness. However, what is also happening, which is kind of balancing it off a bit, is that now you're seeing some structural weakness in the economy. So, guess what? Supply and demand are now starting to you know find a i wouldn't say an equilibrium but let's just say it's becoming a, a tad more breathable as opposed to what it was before where you had you know extreme demand crimp supply and you know equilibrium was was obviously two three standard deviations away from the norm that that is now finding some um let's just say the supply and demand are finding a better uh, a spot a more manageable place but uh, i also think and what I'm seeing is that companies are actually making choices and they're saying, no, we're not going to do this. No, we're not going to have uh, whatever, 30, 50, 100 million dollars in CapEx. We're going to delay this because it's just not palatable. The whole theme, the thematic theme in all of this from what I'm seeing is massive uh, inputs to uh, massive inflation on inputs to production, um, um, uh, margin compression and the inability to, to transfer uh, price increases to consumers and B2B customers, hence margin compression all around on a weakening backdrop. That's, wow. so, that's so, so, what so, I see. Yeah, so Abe, that's really powerful and really super evaluated observations. So does that kind of make you think that given the uh, margin compression, sounds like an earnings nightmare. Um, yeah, absolutely. And slowing economy doesn't also kind of it sounds to me like like a recession is like guaranteed i mean if you're a company if you're running a company you're gonna like cut back on spending plans and get rid of people and cut back on capex i mean oh, so does it, look you, does it look like like a like a recession slam dunk in your view in europe a absolutely absolutely it's just that the narrative 
um, you, you get to understand, you know, the, the, the one thing that's kind of refreshing going over to different jurisdictions coming out of North America is that you can actually see clearly for a change because of the so much bullshit we, we, we you know, we, we get exposed to in terms of, you know, bubblegum TV, you know, CNBC and the rest of the bullshit. It, it's very real there. Very, very real. You see it. There's no question in my mind that forget about recession. Recession's a slam dunk in Europe. They're cooked. They are cooked. There's no question. And Q4 is going to be quite profound because I'm seeing all of the things on the ground that are driving production, that are driving real businesses. I'm not talking about I'm talking about real businesses here that are profound impacts that are in connected to, to the, you know, in the economies. So in other segments of the economy, if you will, uh, it's, it's all weakening and, and energy is a big problem. Energy security is a huge problem for Europe. Massive. And I think it's it's not adequately understood or appreciated in North America because we don't have the same level of energy insecurity that they have. And as a consequence, now you're seeing um, trade offs, choices, um, and that is occurring uh, on mass. So, yes, to answer your question, George, um, a recession, forget the recession. That's a slam dunk. Now it's done. It's a question of we're just waiting for the data to come out and just confirm it. But I mean, so what? It's there. I see it. It's on. It's it's all but it's all but cooked, and that's the largest economy in the world. Yeah, no, so I, really I, I get it. I, I get it. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. just I, I, yeah. yeah, it was so much information absorbed. So I apologize. Yeah, yeah no, no problem. No. no, but no, this is really, really good stuff. Could you just come back to the the, the, the metals, like the rebar yeah. and the seal price, all that crap? So what's yeah. so that's that stuff coming off the boil now? Like what's happened to product? Because so, you said a lot, and I lost track of it. Yeah, crazy. okay. So so I'll tell you where some steel prices are going. Um, so products that are now going into the U.S. over the last say quarter, if you will, um, I believe I had reported to you guys back in um, May. Uh, sorry, March. So March we saw a slight reduction. Um, April, we saw a slight reduction still, um, uh, May was stable, June is stable and the July bid continues to be stable. And I, and I actually am supposed to get a whole whack of orders coming out of the U S, um, any day now. And that was confirmed, um, literally yesterday. Uh, so, 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 so the, the pricing that's been offered continues to be firm, um, but certainly on a year over year basis, probably down about 17, 18 percent from an end product perspective. OK, so. Okay, so, so, yes. so, 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 so that's year over year. But sequentially, are things softening now? Yes. Yes. OK. And, and it sounds like from what you're saying, it probably are going to be likely continue softening if I hear you correctly. Um, yes. And the only thing that's actually keeping the bid, in my view, is the fact that you've got um, uh, delayed orders. So, so, so a lot of these orders have been spoken for. They haven't been able to get the supply. And as a consequence, you have what I would call subsidized pricing that have remained in higher levels only because uh, lack of access. So at some point, when all of this stuff actually finds itself to these destinations, you are going to get a... Um, uh, uh, weakening in pricing or at minimum what's going to happen is it's not going to order. They're not going to order and they're going to wait, which, you know, in this business, it, it, it translates directly into, oh, let me drop my, my shorts in order to keep these factories going. That's basically what's going to happen. And it happened right. the same in 06 and 07 because I've been around quite some time in this. So, I, you know, I, I've read this chapter about 10 times now. Yeah, Abe, you and me both. I think I may have a few years on you, but it's yeah. a muscle memory. I know exactly what you're saying. So, yeah. All right. So, I say, Abe, 
please stay up there. We just got an incredible room here again today. We had Guy, we had KFA, we got you, we got three aces. Let's keep the momentum up. So um, I want to go to Gnostic. And then, Javier, if you wouldn't mind coming up, you need to get – you were correctly uh, suggesting that people should be a little bit cautious on energy looking out last time I heard from you. So, Javier, if you wouldn't mind coming up, it would be great to get some, some data points from you on the energy markets. But in the meantime, um, Gnostic, uh, what, what's up What's up, What's up? up from you, Gnostic? Good, good to see you. Well, after two days of listening to you and Michael, uh, not very much is up. Uh, which brings me to a question <laughs> that I would raise. All right, let, 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 let me rephrase it. What is, what, what is noteworthy that catches your eye? Let's put it that way. <laughs> a slightly better summary. Uh, up is just definitely not a word I would use, but it does bring me to the, to the question at hand here. Um, how long is this? I guess I, I'm looking at it this way. We, we compressed a whole bunch of things into COVID and, and put solutions in trying to solve COVID, you know, COVID was wrong. Doing that was wrong. All the rest of the stuff was wrong. The the uh, regulatory decisions and and all the rest of the stuff was just just compressed everything into such a short time period. Now we're getting the rebound effect of that coming out. How long are we going to be in that that down part of this cycle? Um, how long is this going to last? Do you think? Are you referring to when you say down part of the cycle, like how long is the, is the economy going to be inflecting down or a particular part of the economy? What exactly? Are you referring well, to? my well, my my concern at the moment when I sit down and look at it is that that in most processes where you have you know regular regulatory errors and uh, fiscal errors uh, all combined into something, you get you you get a rebound effect on the on the other side. And, and a rebalancing, so to speak. Without that rebalancing, then the next cycle is even worse. So in this particular case, we've got multiple things that happened at the same time, which created multiple uh, errors in decisions and compressed a whole bunch of things. And we put a whole bunch of money into the economy. Now, a whole bunch of that has been neutralized by you know, going in the rediscount window, uh, banking, people save money. Now, all of a sudden, it starts coming out. And people look at this and go, oh, it's inflation, but it's it's suppressed purchasing that's coming out. Not so much a, a, uh, inflation in the, in the normal sense. It's just all of a sudden, everybody that didn't go and buy suddenly goes to, to buy. They've got limited, limited stock. Price goes up. Price, basically, purchase push inflation, but it's been compressed during COVID. So it really didn't happen until after COVID started to let up. So we've got a whole bunch of situations that, that the timing just seems particularly wrong in, in the sense that it's not a normal cycle. It's sort of artificially and, and decision error mistakes pushed it into this. And now the question is, how long does it take for that rebalancing to take effect and come back to a stabilized economy? Uh, I'm the, the uh, discussion we just had on Europe, uh, I find fascinating because Europe is going to be hit even worse with it. Japan is now in a a mess uh, that looks like it's not going to recover for a while. And the more I hear, the more I kind of just want to sell everything and go find a nice little island for a year or two. So let me take a shot at that. Many in, in, in KFAB, Three Aces, Abe, anyone wants to weigh in on this, but my two cents. And you really ask an excellent question. And I've been saying in recent days and weeks, I've been talking about the concept of time as opposed to price. 
time is what really kills people. You know, Mark goes down, comes right. I'm sorry to talk about Mark. There's been economies, but what, but they're inter- intertwined. If you look at a, if you look at the chart of 2000, it's like the first quarter of 2000 was like a mistake, and like it went straight down, went straight back up, and then some. And so when I look at the chart, I like to put my thumb over that and just view that as an, as an aberration. And more generally, if you look back over the last, you know, umpteen years, we really, even we've had declines or corrections or bear markets, it hasn't been a proper bear market. Everything comes back very quickly. It's not a bear market. Bear markets grind you down. It takes time. And because the Fed's always been there to, you know, was BTFB, you know, buy the dip. And, and the monkeys get trained in Pavlovian fashion to do that. And so we've never had a proper cleansing, a proper bear market. And instead, risk takers have become emboldened and emboldened and emboldened. And now we have like the Minsky moment where this, this, this phony equilibrium, this phony stability breeds instability. And this took years to, to achieve. So when the talking heads on CNBC are breathlessly hanging on to every word coming out of Jerome Powell, 25 basis, more or less, whatever, and people extrapolating and um, what it's going to look like. And, you know, three aces, I'm not going to mention anybody by name, but in other rooms that you're in, and we're not going to mention names, but there's some people who like to talk about, you know, the three-year, five-year forward, and the five-year, three-year forward, and the twos to tens, no, 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 it's the fives to thirties, and you got to look at the dot plot, and it's this and that, and the implied swaption volume, and Nancy, Nancy gave us all these questions. I don't think these people have any idea what they're talking about. I'm just sitting there like, you know, I shoot myself in the head listening to this stop nonsense. It's three aces. You know who I'm talking about. And this is not something that Jerome Powell can fix in a quarter. It's not something that Jerome Powell can fix, period. Let's go to energy. And actually, I'm going to take your – thank you for your question, Master. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to take it and run to energy with this. And then you know, three aces have some opinions about energy and, and maybe – Abe, since you're involved in a real industry, you're not a financial bullshitter like yours truly. Maybe you have some perspective. I mean, this energy problem we have, this energy crisis that we have, is years in the making. Years. You've seen capital spending in real terms fall like 70% in, in energy. Exacerbated by the, by, 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 by the ESG movement. If you're the CFO of, a, of an energy company, if you're a survivor, the last thing you want to do now is put another hole in the ground. You're lucky you're alive. This industry, forget about everything else, they incinerated hundreds of billions of dollars worth of capital the last few years. Now, since they're not really drilling for much more oil, and you look at the, the, the number of ducks which have collapsed, I'll get to you in a second, Abe, the number of ducks which have collapsed, it's like, hey, this is cool. Oil price is going up. My stock price is going up. My stock options are worth more. Like, why would I want to drill for more oil? And then when everyone goes screaming and yelling, oh, windfall profits tax. Really? For once, this industry is earning its cost of capital? Barely? Why don't we have a windfall profits tax on Apple? 
or Microsoft or Google. Part of the problem we have is this hyper-financialization of the economy, overinvestment, malinvestment in the wrong sectors. You guys heard me run my mouth the other day. I think, and someone will correct me here, I know we've got some Canadian oil mafia guys in the room. I think total U.S. energy capex was, I don't know, it was like $60 billion or $110 billion, some number like that. I'm not interested in precision, it's accuracy, order of magnitude. Total U.S. capex, industry cap, oil capex was like I don't know, 60, 60 billion, hundred billion. Let's call it, let's call it eighty billion for a midpoint number. That compares with last year. In Tesla call options alone, there were trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars spent on Tesla call options. Does that make sense to anybody in this room? But number go up, bro. Elon's cool. He's tweeting. He's saving the world. We've just completely screwed up our economy, our financial markets. And that's why I actually think this bear market is a good thing. It's a good thing. It's good that Tiger's going to go out of business. It's good that Kathy's going to crash for even further. This has to stop. We've been investing in all the wrong places. We need to invest in real things, productive assets that generate cash flow, infrastructure, maybe do some onshoring in industries where you don't have to depend on the Chinese so much, education. So it doesn't matter what I think or anybody in this room thinks, Mr. Mark's taking care of this. He'll fix it. He is fixing it. We're going to look back on this period 20 years from now. And Kathy Wood's going to be delegated to the dustbin of history. She's the modern day version of Kevin Landis, Garrett Von Wagner, Alberto Villar, Ryan Jacob. Nothing new under the sun. The names and the players change, but same old game. Chase Coleman? May go down in history as a person who lost the most money for the most people. Hard to believe, but my, how the mighty have fallen. This sort of D1 Chase Coleman Viking cabal. These are some of the greediest, most reckless, irresponsible investors in history. These guys run, run rings around the uh, Shinjin Rui. Newman's not in the room, but that's a Japanese word for, I forget what it means. It's referring to, to the wild speculative class in Japan and real estate in the late 80s. The Shinjin Rui that would hang out in Rapunga in the bars. Those guys are pikers compared to, to Tiger. I hope Chase Coleman goes out of business. I hope D1 goes out of business. Not because there's any Sharon Freud and I wish bad things for them. But that's part of the healing process. This has to stop. If you're CalPERS and if you, you invested, I don't know, $400 billion entire global, whatever the number is, and they invested more money in some of the other funds, all in, someone told me they put in a billion, I don't know, whatever the number, it doesn't matter. And you lose 80%, I kind of suspect you're not going to do that again. So I think you're looking at 
this type of Kathy behavior, Chase Cohen behavior, this is going to go the same way as Japanese warrant business for the late 80s in Japan. People decades from now are going to look back on this and say, what were they thinking? How could they have done that? The same way we laugh at, you know, Beanie Babies or uh, uh, Dutch Tulip Bowl Mania or the South Sea Bubble. And this really gets to the concept of time. I got to put money to work. No, you don't. And I think the path, the future is going to look much, much different than the past. People have no idea what's coming. No idea. You know, the Nikkei peaked at 39,000 around about the last day of 1989. It went to seven, 7,000. It's like 28 now. That was 33 years ago. That's a proper bear market. How's David Portnoy going to do in that kind of a market? George, could I uh, address not yeah, the question really quick? Yeah, because yeah. I, I think it it uh, complements what you were just saying. And, and again, this is more so just walking down memory lane for, to provide context of what can happen. I'm not suggesting that something similar is going to happen, but uh, it certainly could. Uh, as, as you know, rhyme, uh, history echoes and kind of rhymes at times. But um, so if you just go back to the 98 to 2002 period, four years, to your point, time, you had uh, kind of the global internals of the market uh, go into a bear market starting in 98. So emerging markets and, you know, a lot, lot of uh, the old economy that Buffett ended up buying brick and carpet companies because they got trashed so much. In, into the 2000 peak and uh, oil bottomed around that same time went from what 10 bucks to 35 and then during the recession of 2001 which was I think the NBER dated it from March until November or December of 01 oil got cut in half during the recession now this put again put this within the context this is with oil having been in a bear market since the early 80s uh, investment having been down on the cusp of a huge bull market driven by emerging market demand coming in and and the reemergence of the emerging markets uh, in in the in, in the early aughts and into like 2006 seven eight um, so on the cusp of that it gets cut in half and then you have the stock market in the U S go through what is kind of common and I think George you would attest to this you kind of it's not uncommon in these big bear markets that you get three lows you get a low that's part of the market bottoms and then you get a second low where another part of the bottom uh, market bottoms and then you get a third low when it's kind of the last flush but actually two parts of the market two-thirds of the market have already bottomed in those prior periods and that was July of 02 October of 02 and then with the war launching in in uh, in March of 2003, so that's just an example of a timeline of a lot of crap going on. Part of it involving the end of a mania in '99 and 2000, but the story of of the bear market really began in '98. So these things can be quite complicated and protracted. Uh, so as what to buy and when, you know, there will be things that will bottom at certain waves in this. Um, but, but to your point, George, I mean, we're, we're in the everything bubble coming into this. Uh, so I think the, the natural inclination is to kind of shoot your load too fast, but 
you know, even those areas that bottom first are going to get retested, like crude bottomed in 98. You could have bought it in 2001 and it wasn't that much higher than than the lows. And, and the stocks certainly weren't discounting it. And the stocks were, you know, uh, quite a bit down. Um, right, right. So, 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 so KF, brilliant insight. Let me ask you this. So even though you may be optimistic on the longer term outlook for energy, you may or may not be. Are you suggesting that in the short run you'd be a bit concerned given the economic energy, given the economic slowdown that we're looking at, that we're looking at? Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, what I've been telling people is um, have your list, bank some profits, and get off leverage. That's been my story all year. Get off leverage. Do you know some of these people, particularly young guys in their twenties that are making? You, know, just, you saw it in Bitcoin and all these other areas. The, the Robin Hood crowd people that have made a huge amount of money in these kind of speculative environments. And, you know, I, I would say on the margin, energy's gotten a little speculative in the last couple of months. Um, just don't be messing around with leverage and, and bank some of that money, have cash so that you can take advantage of volatility. If we do get a dump where oil gets, you know, cut by 25 or 50 percent and you know, yes. some of these stocks get obliterated, that you're you use that to your advantage. 100%, rather than 100%, getting deleveraged and wiped out and then mis- missing the whole bull market. 100%, KFAB. You got that? Get off leverage. Total 100%. 100%. And I, I'm I'm just worried. So three aces, I want to come to you now. So I'm just worried that um, given that the authorities, they've got the oil price in their sights, like that is really the mother load where the inflation problems comes from. And given that the paper market for oil is like 40 X the physical market for oil. Now it is true that the next speculative position last I looked is not particularly large. However, with the paper market much bigger than the physical market and the authorities desperately want to get the oil price down, and I think what Biden's supposed to come go to Saudi or whatever sometime soon. The aces, you know as well as I do. I mean, whether they're manipulating the gold market or this or that, they often have their ways of causing prices to you know move one way or the other. They can distort the market at least in the short run. Long term, they can't. But given how overbought, quote unquote, I hate that shouldn't use that word. Given how much oil's gone up lately. And there be maybe some lazy money, lazy longs in the space because people have been hiding in it. That, you know, Aces, we had someone in the room the other day, can't remember who it was, it's all running together, was making the, it was Nikoski, he, yeah, okay, that, you know, Nikoski, get your, get up here. Uh, when something gets too, you know, too extended of 30, 20, 30% of the 200 day, it's always prudent to take some, take something off the table and you can be looking at a correction. So given how, how, how extended it is, Aces, and, how the financial market for oil is so much bigger than the physical market and you've got an incentive for the policymakers to try to get the oil price down and you've got biden going over to saudi the next few weeks and the and and there's probably a bunch of things i left out it just strikes me in the next month or two I'm not saying year or two month or two that the risk reward oh here he is nikoski's here hey once aces you go hey hold, hold on day i want to i want to yeah, ace here for it. it just strikes me that yeah yeah well it could go up it could go down but it's, it's too much of a jump ball for me and that um i'm not predicting it's gonna necessarily but i certainly want wouldn't want to own it here like guys sir and was saying earlier 
if he was going to a you know new client for the first time, you know, he was saying he thought you'd get a better better entry point. So three aces, and you know what happens? People don't want to sell because they're greedy, and then once the price breaks, and it's panic, get me out, yada yada yada. So aces, how do you think about the oil? I mean, what part of what I'm saying you agree with, disagreeing with? What does energy look like to you, aces? Yeah, so you know, for me, I'm a big picture guy. You know, if if I get the big picture right. I can make every mistake under the sun. If you bought the shittiest social media company in the past 10 years up until recently, you made nothing but money. If you bought the best managed coal company, you know, back in since Obama, you got wiped out, right? So getting the big picture right for me is everything. You know, for one, you've got a very strong dollar, which should be hurting both gold and oil, all commodities, Right. So that's, you know, so in doing so, George, you know, I'm looking at the totality of the weight of all the evidence, like not one thing in particular. Right. So for one, you know, this is not a favorable environment dollar wise for for commodities. Okay, for one, for two, um, you know, we had the everything bubble. Okay, and where commodities were left for dead for a decade. Uh, and nobody cared about them. All of a sudden, at the end of the business cycle, commodities are the last to fall, and you know they they stand out. In came the everything bubble, and you saw what happened in the LME and Paul Singer, uh, Elliott Associates, right? They shoved it up every. You know these are tiny little markets, like you talk about paper to physical. So you know we had the everything bubble come after these things, right? Um, you know we're headed into a recession. Um, you know it's like. You know, I, I go on spaces and there are seven conference calls a day from, you know, a bunch of people all pumping, you know, oil. The maxis are all over the thing. Um, you know, I personally and then if I look at Dr. Anas's work, Dr. Anas is saying, yes, yeah, supplies are down, drilling's down, but demand adjusted supplies and inventories are in 30 or in a 30 year range, which we could be one of the reasons why the oil companies aren't rushing out to go drill. You know, not every oil permit's on federal land. You know, a lot there's lots and lots of oil on private land that the federal government has nothing to do with in terms of restricting drilling. So, you know, when I weigh all of that stuff up, uh, you know, and then again, you know, you've got Ukraine and, and so on and so forth and USG and things like that. It's not, you know, entirely one-sided. There is a scale there and a balance. Um, when I weigh all that stuff up, um, you know, for me, I say to myself, there's much more risk to the downside in something, um, you know, it, it, you know, into the current price uh, of, of things. And that and that was the call that I made when oil was 130. Um, you know, oil went to 90. It's bounced here, um, I think, you know, and then the biggest one of them all, which is the, one of the main reasons why I was saying that is that we're going into an election cycle. You know, these guys may be dumb, you know, but they're still greedy, the politicians, right? They want to get reelected. So, you know, we, you know, we knew that there was going to be some, something done. We don't know what. We've seen SPR. We've seen talks about profit taxes. You know, they're going to have to do something. So, you know, if you weigh all of that stuff up, you know, the oil trade, you know, was not a guaranteed slam dunk. Now, like you say, the oil trade, I, you know, I'm not going to use that word again because we should be responsible with our word, but, but is a very high probability terrific secular trade because of this energy policy 
and how they've restricted and they're going after hydrocarbons. You saw John Kerry say it the other day. They're all saying it, right? So, so long term, the boomerang effect of these broken political policies that have vilified oil and gas and hydrocarbons are going to come back and take these people's heads off like you read about. When that happens, and we're not there yet, uh, you know, we could easily see 200 plus a barrel on oil. But that's the longer term picture. In the short term, and even in the medium term, I think there's far too much that could weigh on the price of oil here, um, you know, just in ordinary, you know, the course of ordinary business. Right. And that would, you know, it's funny. Let's just hallucinate for a second together here. Let's say you're right. And for whatever reasons, be it gathering fears of a recession or some photo op BS announcement with the Saudis or some leverage speculator gets caught in something else. He's got to blow out his oil, whatever it is. Or the charts start breaking down and people pile on the tourists leave the building. Let's just say oil goes down close to 100 or 95 or whatever. No big deal. Stocks are going to get crucified. The authorities love that because, again, the higher energy price is an inconvenient truth. And by the way, for everybody in the room, I'm not short energy. I'm not willing to bet on that because, I, for me, my conviction is it's going to go a lot higher. I believe in that much more than I believe in necessarily going to go down in the short run. So that just leaves me on the sidelines. I have no position. I'm not talking my well, I'm talking my book. My book is flat. I'm not long. I'm not short energy. But if oil were to sell off, energy were to come off, maybe that stops yields from going up a lot in the short run. Maybe. Maybe some of the Kathy garbage gets a bounce. Maybe. So the investment which has been to be long energy and short all the long duration garbage. Maybe that gets a counter trend bounce. I don't know. But what I do know is in a bull market, where you only can be long or flat, long or flat in a bear market, you only can be short or flat, short or flat. So I'm not willing to trade counter trend. So, you know, I've taken my energy longs off. I was a little bit early in doing it. I just became uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable being long. In other words, the risk-reward ratio, in my opinion, or the, the sharp ratio on that trade was just too messy for me. So, you know, I don't have much energy right now at all. Um, and I still think that, you know, I mean, it's the investment. I still want to be long, just not right here right now. And conversely, while, you know, nothing goes in a straight line, I think all the garbage is still for sale. And by the way, looking further ahead, it may get the summer bounce. Who knows? But I just, I, I'll repeat what I said in the room the other day. I just find it interesting. You know, Stan Druckenmiller, who is the greatest of all time. He is the GOAT. You know, he, he even said last week in, in, his, in his remarks at the Sone Conference, and there's a guy who's not afraid to be short. He's a bit scared of being short because you get these rip-roaring, you know, rip-your-face-off counter-trend rallies. And I read that and I looked at it. I said, you know what? That's a tell. Even he's afraid to be short. So maybe that means everything's going to go straight down. And I retweeted something today, not to be an asshole, but, you know, it's funny. If you go back and you look at older tweets, 
and you're, you know, you point out a call that somebody made, you're accused of trolling. Really? I just call that holding someone accountable. Someone made a good call. You know, give them hats off to them. I don't like to speak in self-referential terms, so it's much nicer when someone compliments me or reminds me of a good call I made. It'll surely remind me of a bad call I made. But I took the trouble to retweet out. Um, and I urge everyone to go actually take a look at this. I actually think it was very good. You guys hear me all the time? Judging by the size of the rooms and the number of people listening to the replays, you're obviously not here just for the fun of it. I mean, you guys must be getting some, something out of it. If not for me, then the great speakers we have in these rooms. But I took the trouble of um, retweeting a clip from my May 3rd Blockworks podcast with uh, uh, with Jack Farley. And, um, you know, it's funny. People react in the moment to things. Maybe yes, maybe no. In fact, allow me a little bit of self-aggrandizement here. I'm just going to play this. It's only a two-minute clip. I mean, I said this. I was on my rant. I don't know what I was saying. This is May 3rd. This is like six weeks ago. Maybe, you know, it was, and for those who didn't watch it, you should really go watch it. And I, I actually, I was pretty pleased with the way it came out. I did a hour-long podcast with uh, Jack Farley. So here's just a two-minute clip I want to play. Um, again, this is six weeks ago. So let me just play this. How does that compare? You know, you've been in the market in a long time. You've seen a lot of cycles. Are there comparable times when during the dot-com bubble there were stocks that were even you know more richly valued than 100 price of sales, or is it is it something completely different? Jack, that's a great question. You know, I've been through many booms and busts. I was there in '87. I left Fidelity to start a fund to short the Japanese market. So the Japanese market peaked at 39,000 at the last day in 1989. Never seen that price since. I was there in 2000. The tech wreck, NASDAQ 5000. I was there in 2008. And I will say, what we've seen now eclipses every other bubble that I've lived through. You know, just do the math. Liars figure, the figures don't lie. You can't get from here to there. It doesn't work. Uh, there's a study, I think I shared some of the materials with you, Jack, which shows, for instance, what happens when you buy stocks on 20 times revenue. This is one of the slides I showed you. The data shows that I have to credit my friends at Kalish Concepts. The average stock in history, if you pay 20 times revenues, forget about whether or not the market. That stock had a 55% probability of being delisted. Delisted. Oh, but bro, the story's good. So ignore the charlatans in the mainstream media. Ignore the fast-talking investment bankers. And so you know, how many times have we seen this in the last couple of years? And so, to answer your question, no. NASDAQ 5000 in 2000 was never this bad. Yeah, Tokyo had some crazy stuff in 1989. But for my money, this is the biggest everything bubble I've ever seen in my career. And, and we have seen uh, some correction with the S&P down, let's say, 10%, and you know, the NASDAQ closer down to 20%. And long-term bonds, as you say, have sold off tremendously. How close do you think we are to reaching you know, a bottom? A lot of people say, oh, once the S&P 500 sells off 20%, there's going to be another Powell pivot, just like there was in 2018. What do you say? History rhymes. It doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And the investor class would have you believe that once the market's down 20%, 
is the pal, as you said, the pal put a couple of rescue. No, not this time. As a matter of fact, I is a chance that this decline could shock people by just how bad, how much, how far down it goes. Play that, not take a victory lap, because God only knows I've had more than my fair share of bad calls. And when you start feeling good about yourself, we've all done this, you start thinking you really know what you're doing. That's when you get your head cut off. And that is um, to just remind people that in markets like this, anything can happen. You know, that was May 3rd. I'm just looking here. Let's just take ARC, which is my favorite reference point. That was May 3rd. I'm going to pull the chart up here as we're talking. I'll be like those annoying guys with those with their chart rooms and always clicking on the keys. I hate when they do that. Um, okay. May 3rd. ARC was at uh, 49 it's now 37, so it's fallen 24% since then. Arc was at 49. Having more or less gone a straight line, it was like 125 in November. It was 98 in at the turn of the year. So it was already down 50% as of May 3rd. So everyone's like, oh, it's oversold. And that's how I warn people, no. But what does oversold mean? You've heard me this bad line before. It comes from Frank Texera, formerly the Royal Antony Store, but guy. What, is, what does oversold mean? Oversold means I forgot to sell it and it went down anyway. Just like overbought means, oh, I forgot to buy it and it went up anyway. So our quote-unquote was oversold on May 3rd. Down 50% in the year. It was 49. It's now 37 since May 3rd, and probably people heard that and they said, oh, ha, 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 George is funny. George has got a lot of great one-liners. George is angry. Whatever. Since May 3rd, TLT down 7%. S&P down 12. Q's down 13. ARC down 25. That's in six weeks. Let's zoom in a little bit. Supposed to zoom out. So again, it was oversold. People are saying, well, you know, if it can rally, if it gets back up, blah, 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 you know, and if it goes to 45, it's going to go to 50 and all this nonsense. You know, the, the, the two-handed uh, technicians. And by the way, I'm not taking a swipe at you, Nikoski. I'm going to get, get you in here in one second. Um, and I'm just looking at the chart here, and as recently as Wednesday of last week, ARC got its head up. Put lifted its head up to over 48. And everyone's like, ah, so you're saying there's a chance. And all the wise guys who were, like, taking shots at me because I'd been correctly bearish on ARC the whole way down, said, oh, you bullshit. I had one jackass who's been in this industry for 20 years. Oh, I always make money. I like to buy, the, get my hazmat suit and buy the dumpster dive. I always make money. I'm like, dude, are you crazy? You never, never trade counter trend in a bear market or in a bull market. All right, so at 46, uh, on Wednesday, I'm on vacation in Aruba. 
Aces was supposed to come and see me, but I had trouble getting his papers. We'll talk about that next time. So people are like taking shots at me. Well, you know, is it 40? And now it's at 46. Hey, George, you know, it's going to go to 70. If it breaks 48, it's breaking out on the charts. And then all of a sudden, someone turns the lights out again. We were, we were 36. 36 this morning. Guys are taking shots at me a week ago because it was 46. Who's having the last laugh? I, uh, I said the other day, the short side's the investment. We got a little bit of a dust up with somebody I know pretty well. And, you know, again, another thing I think which would contribute to the civil discourse enormously in the public square, when you're talking to somebody or listening to somebody, try to figure out what it is that you can agree on. Points of agreement. Because if you can figure out the points of agreement, instead of attacking someone, you can then constructively start to delve into what is it you disagree on. But I literally had smoke coming out of my ears. Someone's nitpicking with me the other day. Well, new Julian, you see shootings in this? He said, I'm like, go pound sand. What I was saying was the real money has been made on the short side. Trend is down. And this person saying, oh, shorting's on an investment. And for those of you who were in the room the other day, you'll know who I'm talking about because I throw them out. I throw them off the stage. So at any rate, um, I'm meandering here. Just a whole bunch of thoughts running through my mind. Nobody knows nothing. We've never seen, in Nikoski, I want you to speak in a second. Nobody knows nothing. We've never seen this before in terms of the speed of the moves. That was a great point that Mark Cahote has made the other day. I was hitting here on the weekend. The sheer speed of these moves, I can't emphasize that enough. Catching people offside. You know, Nancy Davis, uh, Asa, she was in your space the other night talking about, you know, how people get screwed up in, in vol markets because they sell volatility. And then what winds up happening is realized vol winds up being much higher than implied vol. And you know, they're selling downsides, and all of a sudden they get hit. People haven't had time to hedge. People haven't had time to adjust. And this is when stuff starts to happen. This is when, if you're running a hedge fund, your prime broker calls you up and they say, well, we're going to change the VAR calculations on you. So, you know, before we allowed you to be three times levered, well, now it's only two times levered. And you're forced to mechanistically reduce your balance sheet. So as VAR goes up, Rates go up, vol go up, positions have to come in, positions have to come in. And there goes liquidity. Nikoski, my friend, Mr. David Nikoski, good to see you. Um, you were fantastic the other day. Three aces hold it. Um, yeah, yeah. Nikoski, you were fantastic the other day. Any updated thoughts, David, from your comments the other day, David? Yeah, hi. Thanks, George. And thanks for uh, Guy Sarandello, who I've known for years, and you mentioned Frank Texiera, who I've also known for quite a few years and while he was at Fidelity, so I appreciate it. And, George, I just want to say that you do a fantastic job. Your opinion is your opinion on some things, and you know what? You're right on most of it. I would agree. So I appreciate the, the time that you uh, let us come on here and at least uh, give our thoughts and opinions, and I will agree with you on the technicals. You know, oversold can stay oversold for months and even years. I always tell my staff, you know, in a bear market, the market's like a spruce tree. You can draw support lines all you want. As you get farther out from the, the stump, you have to draw new lines. By the time you've drawn, you know, 
nine lines and the 10th one is the bottom, no one's listening to you anymore. It just, in capitulations, everything goes down and there is no stopping until the last seller is out. There is no rhyme or reason for a level. It is, it is going to be what it's going to be in a true bear market. Um, you, you mentioned oil. I, I do think there's a probability that, you know, in a recession, it's multiple compression across the board. They take no survivors. And I do think that oil, you know, is likely to see, you know, $100 or $95 a barrel as demand declines during a recession. It's going to. It will. You're going to see, you're seeing flights at record rates right now. I don't know who wants to jump on a flight from, you know, here to, uh, you know, Minneapolis to Phoenix at like $700, $800. It, it, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense especially when they're seeing multiple compression in their 401k. So I, I do think that, you know, if there's a pullback in oil, you save some money because I think it's a long-term secular theme. Um, if a normal recession, you know, sees the decline of 30 to 40% in oil, I don't think we'll see that 30 to 40% only because we're tethered to Europe. Everything they don't buy from Russia is going to be bought from the United States. We're going to make up that shortfall. So I, I do think you have a hedge there that, is going to stay in place for, for years to come. Um, in terms of the overall market, you know, I posted a, a chart of junk bonds, um, you know, versus the S&P. And junk bonds are actually outperforming. So anyone take a look at junk bond index, JNK, you'll see that it looks pretty bad. It's outperforming the market and making multi, multi-month highs. Not suggesting buy it what i'm saying is if i posted another chart going back several five years and you'll see that junk bonds always start out performing the market when we're in a capitulation process that can last for weeks it can last for months you see it march of 2000 uh i should say uh during the covid you know you had a significant decline uh, or breakout in that relative strength and it went on for you know a, a month and month or more so, you know, this is the sign that we're in the capitulation mode. Everything tends to get hit. Uh, you know, when it comes to gold, I, you know, my thoughts on gold is, you know, why is it moving up? It's kind of going with the rest of the metal structure. I think that, you know, more importantly, when you look at, you know, something like the GDX or GDXJ, you know, you versus diesel prices, diesel prices are up 112% in the last five months. And you really need to get some some upside move out of gold to at least out, erase that uh, cost of, of diesel fuel. And once that occurs, I think you're going to see a lot better activity in the miners if that does occur. George, you still there? Oh, I'm here. That's great. I really appreciate okay. that. Um, so... Um... If you had to have, what what are your, I mean, where do you think, you well, know, pick S&P, pick the Qs, whatever bench, maybe it's not even in an index, index, maybe it's a sector thing, but what are your sort of two, what are your, I mean, the other day, I, mean, I think we're, we made it clear, we're all sort of sector with bulls and energy, I get that, okay, but like right here, right now, honestly, as a trader, and I don't have any accounts I have to answer to, like, I wouldn't own anything. Yeah. I mean, in your PA, forget about I, it. Yeah. In your PA, would you? Is there anything you own right now in your PA? Um, I the only thing I own in my PA right now is rig. 
rig. Okay. And it's it's not doing well. I bought it much lower. Um, sure. But I, I do think that we're going to see a, ch- a change in the administration when they realize that the red wave is coming. I yep. think that they're going to enact to uh, do more drilling and provide some leases for energy companies to bring right. the price down. Right. So the, fa- the fact that you only have one long, that, that kind of tells me all I need to know about your market views. Is that fair? That is true. Okay. I am looking at GLD right in here. So that may be the my next long purchase. Got it. All right. So, Dave, just stay right there. Aces, I interrupted you before. Aces? No, no. I just wanted to put a little something in the nest to just, you know, the big maxi bobblehead shill, you know, oil call that we hear seven times a day on 10 different spaces um, is about, you know, demand and supply and so on and so forth. So Dr. Anas put a chart up in the I, I put his chart up in the nest that, you know, actual, um, you know, the, the supply is coming down. Right. But inventories divided by demand over the last four weeks are in a 30 year range. You know, so, you know, so the whole entire, you know, song and dance from all of those folks is predicated on this. And the reality of it is it's nowhere near the, you know, severe as as uh, as this. And George, do me a favor. I sent you an audio recording on WhatsApp after the spaces. You listen to that, please. If you want to be more mortified. Okay, I will do. Thank, thanks very much. All right, so I'm just going to give a warning here. Um, we're almost two hours into this call. No, one, yeah, two hours into this call. I'm going to end this call at 1.15, so we've got 17 minutes because uh, i got to get somewhere. i got to get to Boston. Um, so let me, let me just move ahead here. So let's what, go. what are you going to Boston for, George? Rumor has it there's a basketball game going on tonight. <laughs> enjoy, I hope you enjoy it. Good luck. Yeah, South's going to need it. Um, let's go to uh, we're going to disjoint, and then we're going to do Motorhead. Disjoint, what's up? Disjoint, unmute yourself. Not there. Okay, let's go disjoint. You got okay. So let's go to Jonathan and let's no Motorhead, and then uh, Mark Newman. Motorhead, what's up? Yeah, George, um, great space today, and I, I just wanted to sort of uh, I usually I usually talk about Tesla and autos and and, and all that, but um, uh, I love your comments about Japan. Um, I think it's become a bigger and bigger subject because of the fact that uh, they're the only ones who aren't uh, tightening, and um, everyone thinks that you know what used to be the most safe haven currency in the world has turned into like an emerging market currency. Um, but um, as you correctly noted, it has sort of um, started to uh, appreciate, especially what was really weird after the FOMC meeting yesterday. Um, it's uh, since then it's it's uh, it's up about two percent, which is pretty big for currency. But I, what I'm trying to um, uh, what I'd like to sort of like talk about is is um, I, I've spent decades in Japan and um, I was here during the. Uh, 1989 you know peak of the bubble um it was like an earthquake almost uh um as we you know went into january 1990 and and the the entire market crashed uh god at the time i was a college kid um people were dancing on the tables um you you know they were throwing out hundred dollar bills basically it was is really like you know this was happening back in 1989 in japan um, I was also in Japan uh, during the dot-com bubble, so I, I, I was in 
I was working at uh, an investment bank at the time. Uh, I, I saw exactly what happened during dot com. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, our bank underwrote some of the most, uh, you know, stupid um, Internet stocks in the world. And then I was at a big global hedge fund um, during the financial crisis. So I've seen these cycles from from an investment standpoint. Um, and what I think could play out in Japan uh, in, in America is exactly what played out in Japan, which is the bubble bursts. And at that time, uh, the uh, bubble in Japan was was mostly based on <clears throat> highly inflated uh, real estate prices. So it was like it was sort of like the 2008, you know, um, uh, housing, you know, great financial crisis in the U.S. But what I'm trying to say is that um, what happened once the bubble burst in Japan is everything went down. All prices went down. Uh, it was just ridiculous. And it stayed that way. I'm not saying America will be just like Japan. They, they're a little bit more nimble. But it stayed in a deflationary phase for, for nearly two decades. I mean, they were, you know, and even now, um, restaurants, um, you know, product uh, vendors, they, they, they're scared to raise prices. And uh, they're being forced to. But the point is that um, when this everything bubble that we're going through right now in the States uh, bursts, I mean, you don't, you don't only have the highest, you know, uh, real estate prices in, in history. It's, a, it's, way, it's gone way above the 2007 peak. Uh, but you've got stocks with these uh, valuations. You know, look at ARC. Uh, look at the stuff that they hold. Look at Tesla. Um, I mean, there are things that are so overvalued that once it all falls apart, you could see a period where, you know, we we actually have real inflation, uh, de deflation in, in, in the in the U.S. 100 percent. So Motorhead, I was there as well. I was probably a client of your firm at the time I was running. In the, that was, I, was a, I was the biggest, the biggest Fidelity Overseas Fund was the biggest foreign investor in Japan in the late 80s. Yep. So I, I know it well. I know it well. And you're 100 percent right. So just stay there, Motorhead. Great comments. Um, I want to go to Newman and then Shrub. Newman, what's up? Hey, hey, George, how's it going? Uh, good luck tonight in your big game uh, and your travel to Boston. It's never an easy drive. Um, I wanted to touch on what Motorhead was just talking about here real quick uh, in the Japan thing. George, you had mentioned Shinjin Rui uh, earlier. That means for, like new humanity, right? And I think it's a new wave of people in terms of the, uh, yeah, the folks involved at the time uh, was what Shinjin Rui sort of applied to. Um, I wanted to just uh, put a sh to show a little different angle to what Motorhead was talking about in the sense that the real underlying difference between sort of the Japan populace and the U.S. is that there's an underlying tone of homogeneity in Japan where, you know, it's the Japanese and then the Gaijin and Japan Inc. and everyone in the same group of the Japanese, they're willing to sort of stick it out and survive in trouble, uh, difficult, challenging times because of the nature. And I'll give an example. Allied Signal uh, did a lot of uh, lights, uh, traffic light coordination. And back in the day, post-World War II, they approached the Japanese and said, look, we can help you organize the traffic lights 
so that uh, there's, um, you know, staggered lights so that there's no real traffic because we've coordinated it. And the Japanese the Ministry of Transportation said to Allied Signal, no, the Japanese folks can gam on. And gam on means like, stick with it, keep fighting, fight through it. They can gam on in the traffic. In other words, they're willing to deal with traffic rather than have a free-flowing city that uh, someone on the outside has helped them design. So I think there's a nature in Japan uh, why, why they have sort of stuck with the constant continuous policies and the lack of any sort of real substantive progress, if you will, in the sort of deflationary environment as to a slight difference between sort of a Japan bubble implosion. And I think, for example, here in the U.S., people would just get tired of it and say enough's enough. And there's enough uh, heterogeneity, if you will, mix in this in our society where people will get pissed off and they'll make an issue and they'll step up and say it. In Japan, that's not encouraged. So I think there's a slight difference in the potential, let's call it, for some unrest. Here in the U.S., people get pissed off, people get annoyed, people sue people. In Japan, you didn't get that and don't get that. So I think that's just a slight difference to consider in sort of comparing the two. And then the one other thing about Japan I wanted to add, June 23rd is the CPI there. And I am convinced that this event could be almost more significant than yesterday's Fed event. And I say that because a couple of months ago on your uh, space, George, when Belkin was, uh, was, was one of the features, he said something and it really got me thinking. He said sort of MMT might be coming to an end game. In Japan. And we saw the yen at that time go from like 120 something to 135. And Belkin was making a smart comment there. And now, to me, Japan's sort of the canary in the coal mine for this MMT because all of a sudden rates are higher everywhere globally. And now Japan, the, the slow ones to raise rates because they've you know been stuck in that deflationary uh, spiral, they might have to do something more significant in uh, in lieu of that ja June 23rd, um, June 23rd CPI print. Um, so that's just something to consider. And then one other thing I'm going to add uh, on the gold discussion just before. So David Einhorn the other day on the Sone, Iris Sone conference, he, uh, there's a YouTube available. David talks about gold. And he said, it's time for gold. And I want to just share an anecdote. One of my oldest, oldest macro guys that I know you know, from, from Japan trading JGBs in the 90s, this guy with me. And basically, he told me the other day, literally the day before I saw this Iris Zone conference, he said, Newman, gold is dead. It's a relic. It's like the Telex machine and like the old landline phones. Done. Nobody cares except nobody cares except the central banks and you. And then I showed him that video. And he goes, I take it back. No one cares about the central, but gold, about gold, but the central banks, you and David Einhorn. So I just thought it was kind of ironic to me that two people that one, one, both these guys, super smart, some of the smartest people in all of finance, diametrically opposed right here on gold. And I think that speaks to a lot of where we are. Haven't seen things like this. Yes, this time it could be different just in sheer order of magnitude of what's going on. But when you have a guy like David Einhorn, super bullish gold, and then my old macro legendary guy, like gold is dead, I think it really speaks to how challenging an environment we are here. Yeah, no, Newman, 100%. I mean, this is just this really uh, – we're in, we're in a place we've never been before. So um, no, 100% agree, 100% agree. So just stay there, Mark. I'm, we're going to run this for only another 10 minutes or so. I'm going to be done. I want to go to Shrub, and then we're going to do Jonathan.
Shrub, how you doing, man? What's going on? I'm all right, George. So I just want to continue our uh, joke from last week. Uh, so last week we were saying um, the only bullish thing, the only credible, sorry, not even credible. The only argument for the bulls is the option expiry. So that was last week that we were laughing is like trying to put the reasons to be bullish, the reasons to be bearish. We gave a ton of reasons on the bearish side. On the bullish side, we said, well, you only have the expiry. So since that point, the Nasdaq is down 12% in one week. So all these guys, the Wall Street geniuses calling about a gamma squeeze on the option expiry, they're down 12% on the Nasdaq in a week. Annualize that. I mean, seriously, people are just getting killed, including professionals, by just clinging to the next bullshit narrative. And if there was a massive bullshit narrative, it's like option expiries and this and this and that and that. But, you know, people are just getting sucked into these stupid things. So um, that's why, you know, I, I love these spaces that I think we can just identify these bullshit narratives and just kill them early on before, before other people get shrub, sucked in. Shrub, shrub, we have, I'm just looking here at the first three, four rows in this room. It is a privilege to be with you, Aces, Abe, KFAB, Guy Sarandula, Newman, Nikosti, Nasa, Carpathia, I mean, Javier. It's unbelievable. We have a brain trust in here where we really foster a community where I think we can keep each other out of trouble because I come up with stupid ideas all the time as do you as is three aces and I think together we've done a fantastic job of like trying to stay in the middle of the road on this thing so I couldn't agree with you more and by comparison I was in one of these rooms last night there's a guy I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mention names but there's a guy very high profile he's got all these all these rooms and aces I think you were in the room with him yesterday and um, he's been begging me in back channel to come into his room and the reason I don't go in this guy's room is whenever he comes in here and he comes in with questions, it's always a short-term bullshit. Tesla options and what's going to happen to the FOMC and expiration and gamma this and gamma that. And I was like, this is a fool's errand. It's a waste. It's just what you're saying. It's a waste of time. So I went into his room yesterday just to see what was going on. And Aces, you were in the room, I believe. They go, like, oh, George is in the room. Hey, George, come on up. You know, Not you, Aces, somebody else. And I'm like, no, I'm listening to these guys. And they're like, they're like, oh, look, Tesla, it's going green. Like, they're like, they're so happy with themselves. This is like, you know, 2.30, 3 o'clock after the FOMC. And they're all like high-fiving themselves. And I'm kind of just listening to this stuff. I couldn't take it. I was only in there for 10 minutes. The, 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 the shrub, I guess what I'm trying to tell you is just like you and I talk about the fully invested bears, you know, watch what they do, not what they say. It's unbelievable. Exactly. It's unbelievable. I, I, I invite everybody, I invite everybody in this um, room you should go go into one of these other spaces where the guys have the Discord services for 99 bucks a month. They got the baseball caps on backwards, right? Those guys. And just listen to them. And they're still doing picks in the stock of the day and this and that. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, Shrub, we're not done until, until these rooms stop. I mean, I'm being a wise guy. But whether it's Kathy or it's these guys, I mean, it's unbelievable. They still haven't gotten the memo, Shrub. What's it going to take? It's like they're working for a broker firm, you know, to generate commissions because, you know, Wall Street, it tries to create volatility because it wants the clients to trade. That's why they come up with this bullshit narratives. Like they tell you next week is the option expiry. So you got to trade into it or, you know, in two weeks, it's another thing you got to trade into it. So what people don't understand is the Wall Street is a machine that 
is driven by the sell side, driven by creating volatility to get you to trade. But what it's sad is when you see actually people believing it <laughs> and propagating this. <laughs> like, I, I'm sure Buffett is a very bad client for the sell side, right? And he's done 100%. pretty well. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what's funny? Uh, I'm not sure my name was actually not in existence anymore. The guy retired because he made so much money and the market got too hard. But um, one of the big adventure firms in Boston, really, I, I don't mind saying who it was, it was John Jacobson's Highfields. One of the smartest guys around. They had like, I don't know, 12, 15 billion doing all this event driven stuff. And, you know, value investor and did really well. And then it just got too hard. And he just said, I'm done with this. This is not fun anymore. So he's got a few billion of his own. He's managing his own money. But I remember, I think I got this right. But I'm not telling any stories out of school. You looked at how much money they were managing and how little commissions they would generate. They're like, like we don't care what the sell side says. We're just doing our own work, and we don't want. And like you say, it's like going into a casino. They're spinning the wheel. There's always someone screaming and yelling because they won the roulette or the, the, the black hat machines. You're a monocle, You know what I'm talking about, right? It's the excitement. It's the excitement. It's the story. It's the narrative. And that's not investing. That's gambling. And then unfortunately, the gamification of the stock market in recent years, because of the most reckless uh, monetary policy in history. They've destroyed the market. And unfortunately, you're going to see a whole generation of investors get blown up. You know, they got blown up in the 70s and the Nifty 50 bull market. They got blown up with the tech bust in 2000. They got blown up again with the great financial crisis in 2008. And they're getting blown up again now. And I got news for you, in my opinion. I want your opinion, your thoughts on this, Shrub. I think it's far worse this time because it's the everything bubble. It's every asset class. And the participation has never been more widespread. Any thoughts, Strub? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's much, much worse because, um, well, also the platforms have become gamified. So, you know, Robin Hood was, was employing uh, people to actually gamify the process, how you put a trade on. This democratization Bullshit. of the markets, you've heard me say this before, Strub. Yeah. Whenever you hear the word democratization, Run, don't walk as fast as you can away from it, right? I mean, that, that's, that's like I said the other day. I'll say it again. How about the democratization of open-heart surgeries? All you got to do is watch a YouTube YouTube video. You, you too can do this, okay? <laughs> people just – people don't understand. The stock market's not a game. Exactly. You know, actually, I was just thinking the only – the only way you can use democratization correctly is, uh, you know, through these spaces or Twitter – where, you know, if you're actually sharing knowledge, you know, knowledge is free, but it's difficult to, to give or it's, it's difficult to find an avenue to, uh, to pass the knowledge. Like, uh, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation 10 years ago because we wouldn't know each other or have a way to communicate. So that is, that's how you actually help people. That's exactly. democratization of knowledge. By hey, George, to- just for a sec. The, yeah. the most egregious use of democratization in the business in the last few months, Larry Fink, saying ESG is democratizing investment, which by his definition means picking the winners and losers, choosing who gets the money, who yeah. doesn't get the money, who gets the banking deals. That's Larry Fink's, Fink's yeah. version. 100%. Of 100%. 100%. Yeah. All right, Newman, hold it right there. Everyone hold it. Time out. Time out. Time out. I want to get to Jonathan. And then any follow, any closing comments? Jonathan, what's up? Please keep it brief because I do want to close this room. Yeah, no, I just want to share a sort of narrative on 
on the upside. So I, I, I think uh, Biden will, will do this windfall tax. I think it suits his political purpose into the midterms. I think it's a vote winner. And I think he'll then couple that with an ease in tariffs on China, which will have uh, uh, an effect on inflation. It will it will basically reduce inflation by, uh, I think it was Goldman Sachs or, or maybe it was Harvard who, who wrote a report, I think they both did, that potentially it would reduce the effects of inflation by 1.3%. And then if you can come out with a win in Saudi Arabia, get more output from them, but also get a commitment in regards to um, Sabin River, which is the largest refinery in the UK, to increase the capacity there, which might not come in, in the short term. But the money that he raises from the windfall tax, he can use as a bridge until that capacity comes on stream. So by the end of the year, with the additional interest rate rises, you know, that that might actually be able to at least put a bottom underneath it. I mean, I don't really believe that. Um, I mean, I'm not American, but I'm just putting it out there. I mean, what's the view? I mean, do people think he's going to do the windfall tax? I don't know. Does anybody on stage have an opinion on the windfall tax? Well, as somebody who produces commodities for a living for over 12, 14 years now, uh, metals, obviously not but I've been in the liquids business several times. Um, I would just figure out the calculation and slow my production down, at which point now you do have $200 a barrel of WTI. Why would I overproduce to create, to put myself in the threshold of the tax bracket when I've got no incremental returns to my investors and my resource base? That's a neat, as far as I'm concerned, if that's something like that is actually announced and there's a, a method there, towards some sort of bracket, you know, random bullshit like these guys like to do. I just ratchet it down and there goes oil. That, that there was, was a double in oil, in my opinion. Yeah, there, there, there was a report today that apparently Reliance is increasing dramatically its refining capacity in India. And they, they buy off uh, the Iranians pr primarily. But now I think Russian crude has displaced Saudis as the second largest source for them. And so, therefore, there could be some competitive tension in the market by the end of the year. Um, and although that might not sit well with the Europeans, I'm sure we'll buy it um, because it'll be washed through, if you like. It, it, it is Russian crude, but it's not Russian crude. It comes, you know, it's petrol and, and diesel from India. And that might bring some sort of competitive tension into the overall market. A again, I think there are lots of headwinds, but there's also lots changing and, you know, people want to make money. And so, therefore, they're going to build up their refining capacity, especially the Indians, um, uh, you know, Reliance in particular. And they seem to be committing to that. So there are there are some other factors at play, which might mean that, yeah, OK, U.S. refiners reduce their capacity. And so, therefore, the price is maintained. But if if new capacity comes online in other parts of the world, then it's not quite as simple as that. Jonathan, did you see the or the letter that was written by the United States oil refine or the uh, maybe U.S. International Oil Refinery Association to Biden yesterday? Go 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 go! Uh, take uh, yeah, uh, I, I, uh, I, I didn't read it. But... I didn't see it. What, what did the letter say? Basically, Aces. I, I I skimmed it, but the in a nutshell, uh, they're saying that they're producing more. Uh, liquids, like 330 million gallons a day of liquids, 
um, you know, that are critical to the, you know, the mobile energy supply of the world. I can't remember if it was U.S. or the world. And then but they went into talking about how the, the, the requirements being pushed down, the regulatory requirements, forcing them into having to allocate capacity towards, uh, you know, the ethanols and renewables and who the hell the bios, whatever is out there, um, you know, has taken away their capacity, um, you know, to, 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 to keep, you know, to, to increase, uh, uh, um, you know, production in the hydrocarbon stuff. And that those investments that they were forced to make are long term and cannot be easily turned around. You know, so yeah, no, I mean, yeah. like, what, what, what the so US they, he, they stuck it to him. Is... They stuck it to him. I'll, I'll find the article, George. I'll send it to you. It's a new, it's a letter. It's not an article. All right, all right. I got it. All right, all right. So what, what, yeah, just just to respond. I mean, um, I, I did see. Um, I forget what her name is. Uh, again, you know, I'm English, so forgive me. But um, one of your politicians, sort of on an interview where she was totally contradictory, she was talking about the U.S. administration. I think she was the en- en- head of the Energy Department, um, uh, the one who giggles, if that makes any sense. Um, Jennifer Grantham. Yeah. So she was saying basically, um, in one breath, you need to increase refinery output. And then in the next breath, but you also need over the next five years to get out of out of oil, basically, <laughs> which I, I totally agree from, you know, if you're in that business, building a refinery or increasing capacity um, with a view that actually it's only relevant now. And in the long term, you're going to be penalized for operating that that infrastructure and operating that business model. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So I get it. I'm just sort of throwing stuff out there because. There's so much negativity, we can get overwhelmed with it. But there are a few sort of tools in the chest, especially that sort of relaxing the trade tariffs on China and potentially getting some commitment from the Saudis. God knows what that will cost. But uh, but getting that commitment that, that can alleviate things. I mean, I, I agree with George when he talks about sort of expan- expansionary monetary policy and, you know, um, almost zero uh, interest rates. Um, for the last decade or so. I mean, that's the real reason we're, we're here. But um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think I mean, the windfall tax I'm very interested in because we've seen Boris Johnson, he made this announcement. It was on, it was on fo- fossil, sorry, it was on fossil fuel companies. And uh, now he's broadened that windfall tax to cover all electricity generators including renewables. Yeah, Jonathan, you're spot on. You made the point. I'm sorry to cut you off. I just want to bring the room to a close and a couple other speakers there. So really, really good points on your part. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think you're right. There's a real chance of a windfalls tax in the States. It would, it would, it would curry favor with the, with, 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 with the electorate. So it's a wonderful point. Wonderful point. All right. We're going to do two more speakers and that's it. Cause I really want to get done with this. Um, we're going to do Carpathia and then we're going to do real stuff. Hey, Carpathia, what's up, man? Man, I'll be real short. Um, I'm going to embarrass uh, KFAB, maybe. Hopefully, not. Forgive me. Keep that three minute dissertation he went on earlier in the call about the rapidity. Yeah, could, Carpathia, could you be speak up a little bit? You're a little bit faint. Is that better? Yeah, that's better. Go on. All right. Keep the three minute KFAB little uh, lecture or whatever he did early in the call 
and then compare that to Jay Powell looking into the camera yesterday and say and saying no sign of a slowdown anywhere. Now, of course, I got confirmation bias, but I think KFAB put it together. What's in like my book and what you, you know, the guy said at the Einhorn. What's happening if if some guy, some jack off in New Mexico, is sitting here and I see signs of a slowdown everywhere, and the Fed doesn't, and I'm I'm, I'm a bull on gold, as you know, George. We talked yesterday, and I look at my screen. I'm saying, KFAB's right. Something underneath the surface, it knows something. Now, we don't know what it is, but it's green. And if all this comes to pass, it's going to be fast and furious. And that's been the ticket that we've seen with the crypto. I know George got to go. Thank you so much. Car- Carpathia, I always love to hear from you. And I second what Carpathia said. KFA, I'm not going to embarrass you, but um, you're one of the most underrated followers on Twitter, uh, probably because you're too busy doing other things. I urge everyone to follow KFAB, and even better, he has a Substack. I read some of the stuff you put out, KFAB, and I'm like, wow, I wish I thought of that. So, uh, KFAB, I can't thank you enough for all your insights. Seriously, you're 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 uh, <clears throat> you're the real deal. So, speaking of the real, we're going to go to the real stuff, and he's going to close the room. So, real stuff, keep it tight, keep it brief, because I want to close this room. What's up, real stuff? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Biden's gonna pull this whatever it is, special tax, whatever he wants to call it. I think he's gonna do it. For some reason, I watched the hearings. The heads of the oil companies all came up and said, one after another, it's a world price, it's a world market, supply demand, blah 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 blah. Every member of the uh, Democratic member on the table screamed at them, you're a gouger, called them everything but thieves. The, the push behind trying to control uh, uh, the price instead of the uh, production is going to go, absolutely going to go. I'm betting my portfolio on it. I'm not selling shit. And I'm just hanging in here, and that's it. Real. I love that's all part. I got to say. Now, real. I love your comments. I, I wish you come in here more. We need some more of the old guard. You, Carpathia. I'm gonna call him Nikoski old. Able base is old. Shrub's young. Any event. One last thing. Stay in cash. Yeah. If you're nervous, count your toes. But just. <laughs> That's John Wayne and Iwo Jima. If you're nervous, count your toes. I'll do the masterminding around here. All right. Stay hey, in cash. Hey, real. Appreciate it. All right. Two and a half hours. Not too bad. Um, problem is you guys got so much to say. These rooms are so great. I learned so much from these rooms. I appreciate all of you. We, again, have the best spaces on Twitter without question. Best speakers. Best content. Best moderation. Best analysis excuse me, the smartest audience. So um, let's call, let's close this room and I'll, we'll probably be together on the weekend again. So take care, everyone. Be good. Bye-bye. Hey, hey George, one last thing. Yeah. And put yep. in the nest that letter. Somebody sent it to me in DM. So if anybody wants to read the letter we were talking about, 
from the refineries to the president. It's in yep. the net now. Okay. All right. Have a great. nice day. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Safe trip, George. Take care. Thanks. Bye.